Welcome to Walking Backwards. I'm Brad Grimet. This week's guest is Anthony Hardwick. He's an ex-camera operator and Steadicam operator, and now he is a director of photography. And he's an old friend of mine. He's a very nice guy and easy to talk to, as you'll notice. And I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. On another note, I appreciate all the uh, all the good comments and nice words I'm getting, whether it be online or text or email or anything. Everybody's been so encouraging, and I know I don't talk about that a lot, but um, everybody's been so nice, and it's it's awesome. Um, the support has been great, so thank you very much. Uh, if you'd like to further support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com backslash walking backwards, or you can email me at walkingbackwardspodcast at gmail.com. We are rolling, and I have Anthony Hardwick in front of me. Hello. How are you, buddy? Doing pretty well. Cannot it, complain. It's nice to see you. I don't see you that often considering you live on the other side of the world. It's been a while. I mean, I feel like we went through a run of seeing each other a lot at gatherings at Collins and or movies. Movies, dinner. But then you've been out of town for a while now for quite a bit. So that was a portion of you being yeah, out of town. Yeah, that's true. I was. <clears throat> it's been a while, actually. I've, I've been around for... I've been back for quite a while now. But... um. But anyway, yeah. But well, Colin's been out of town, so that connection. He, yeah. He always manages to get you and Linda over, over this way. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> she says hello, by the way. Good. Yeah. I, hello to her. How is she? She's doing great. <clears throat> great. Yeah. Your lovely wife, Linda. Um, so I was looking over your, uh, your your resume and all the stuff you've done, and there's a bunch of stuff I didn't realize you'd done. One weird thing was I had my friend Susan Johnson, the director, in, mm-hmm. and she produced a movie called Mean Creek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so I'm looking through your stuff, doing the research, and I'm like, oh, Anthony worked on Mean Creek with, yeah. with Susan. Yeah, yeah, That's a cool... That was a great movie. I really liked that a lot. Um, yeah, that movie... Uh, you know, I really only worked on it for a short period of time. I think I did two weeks on it or something. Oh, okay. It was up in Oregon, and a buddy of mine, Sharon Meir, DP, uh, shot it. And, um, you know, Sharon's really the reason I came out to L.A. to begin with. So um, I was a DP working in New York, working on largely documentaries and commercials and some music-related stuff. And um, I got a call from my agent one day uh, with an unusual job situation or offer, and it was to operate for another DP. And it turned out to be Sharon Mayer, who was going to go to Philly to uh, shoot sequences on location for a show called Philly that was a Stephen Bochco show starring Kim Delaney and shot in LA in studios but they were going to go to Philly and shoot some stuff every now and then exteriors yeah and so the idea was Sharon wanted to have a guy from New York or East Coast anyway who uh, he would first meet and have operate for him so he could kind of get a sense of whether or not he liked the person's compositional sensibilities and Etc. And uh, and if it worked out, then that person would do all the second unit and uh, B roll and you know kind of plates and stuff like that in Philly on a on an ongoing basis. So I thought you know I'd so never that done he didn't that have before. To, so he knew you personally and right. had a personal relationship. If, if it worked with you, out, if it worked right, yeah. So right. Uh, it's it was a good idea by him. It was an unusual <laughs> offer. I'd never been called for something like that, but I, you know I thought it'd be a lot of fun. And at that time, I hadn't done a lot of dramatic you know episodic sort of stuff or or even features a little bit, but not much. So I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it would be a lot of fun. Went down to Philly for like, I think we were there for about a week and a half, two weeks shooting, and uh, got on really well with him. I thought he was a great guy. We had fun. We uh, It was a fun show to shoot. 
and um, so I got the gig. And I mentioned to him at some point during you know the two weeks, I said, you know, I know there are a million operators in LA, and you are certainly not in you know have trouble finding somebody. But if you ever need somebody, I would definitely you know move out and and work on a show with you, you know, and, and change my local because I've always thought about going to LA. At that point, I was thirty six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just so you got along with him quite well. Yeah, obviously. we got on pretty yeah, well. He liked him, and he liked you. Yeah, but I threw that out there, not thinking anything would ever come of it. And um, as it turns out, uh, a little while later, um, I got a call from the UPM uh, asking, you know, saying that Sharon had mentioned that I'd said that to him, and if I was interested, if I, asking whether or not I was really interested in doing that, and I said, yeah, absolutely. If the opportunity's there, I'd move out for you know seven months or whatever and do the show. So it, it worked out. She basically told me to, uh, uh, and it was Bernie Caulfield, by the way, who is now like, you know, Game of Thrones. She produces Game of Thrones. And, wow. uh, she's a really wonderful lady. Um, and I owe a lot to her for actually taking the leap and, and giving me that job. Right. But um, so I moved out and it was uh, nine days, 10 days before 9-11. It was September 1st. It was Labor Day weekend of nine of, of 2001. Oh, so you moved out here before me. I, I didn't know that. Uh, when did you move out? Two, oh, two. Okay. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there. Yeah, no worries. And then you ended up working. Was it was it Philly? It was. Yeah. On? Oh. So we were uh, our stages were at Culver Studios. So that's the first studio I worked at out here. Um, love those little, stages. Yeah, it's a great little studio. I love it, and I've done a couple of jobs there since. But um, that was the first studio I ever worked at out here. And uh, you know, we were on location as well, filming LA for Philly, which is always fun and difficult to do. But mm-hmm. uh, but we did that, and uh, so that was my first experience in episodic. And I really owe it to Sharon and uh, Bernie Caulfield for bringing me out here. And uh, you know, I just ended up never leaving. That's cool. Were you were you doing a camera on that show? You know, I started as B camera. Um, I have a little mezcal there. I guess they had a <laughs> B camera crew, and it just wasn't working out, and so that's how the opportunity came up. So I, I flew out, uh, started on B camera, and I think I did that for a couple of months. But before too long, the A camera operator, who was Ted Chu, who was also a DP, of, you know, in his own right, he was shooting a lot of commercials and other stuff, and. So he was kind of like taking, and he owned a bunch of equipment too. I think he owned some 35 millimeter camera packages. And so he would get these commercials periodically to go do, and he'd go off to do them. And, um, you know, Sharon was cool with that to an extent. And at a certain point, it got to be a little bit too much. And he kind of told Ted, look, um, I get it. I totally understand. But I kind of also need somebody to be here. So, you know, do you, you kind of have to make a choice at this point. And I think Ted realized that for him at the time, the best thing to do was to, to pursue his own shooting. And, the, um, and move up in full, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. So he left the show, and I bumped up to A camera and uh, finished out the show. So, yeah, it was a pretty quick leap from B camera to A camera <laughs> yeah. in episodic. Oh, through the first season? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Were, were you doing Steadicam at that time? Not at that time, no. Okay. Um, that's a whole other funny story, I mean, really. But the, the short end of that is that um, I did a Steadicam workshop in, I think it was like... I want to say it was 87. Really? Pretty sure it was 87. It was at wow. Rockport. Um, let's see. Ted Churchill wasn't there for that one, although I met him a couple of times. That and, makes you and, very young then. Uh, what, you would have been like 23 or something. I was, uh, I don't want to talk about my age, but yeah. I was well, you already young. did. That's why, I'm, <laughs> that's why I'm doing the math. You already said you were 36. I was no still one. in college. Let's just put it that okay, way. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, yeah, I was at NYU, and I kind of had to lie to go to Rockport because, you know, the deal was supposedly you're supposed to be a working professional, and I kind of was 
skirting the line because I, I did have, I was working part-time and I'd worked summers throughout my college years, um, but I wasn't full-time working. Right. And I was really working in the capacity as a PA, really, for the for those first couple of years. My first job was Pee Wee's Playhouse, by the way. That was, was it really? Yeah. First season of Pee Wee's Playhouse in New York City. They shot that out. Did they go? Did they, they come here? They after? came to LA. Okay, for I always thought two. it was LA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Season one, it was in New York, and wow, uh, that was crazy. my very first experience on set. That is, cr- and what a crazy show to start off. It was super fun. Yeah, it was great. You know, at that small aside, I worked with a producer many, many, many years ago, whose first job as a PA, his uncle was a producer. His first job as a PA when he was fourteen years old was on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh my God, that's awesome! <laughs> so what a great movie. similar, yeah, similar kind of experience. But anyway, sorry. The, um, yeah. So your first job as Pee Wee. So you go to the Rockport. So yeah. So I was you know at nyu and i had a little bit of work experience on set as a pa but i basically had to lie on the you know application and say that i was full-time working or whatever and somehow i squeaked in and went to it um, i don't think they really checked backgrounds that much but i was one of the younger people there um and uh let's see garrett was the main instructor um larry mcconkey came up and was also instructing um and jimmy Muro came up and he was kind of like assistant instructing a little bit at the time but uh, but that was basically it. And it was a great time. It was wonderful. And I, I was thinking about Steadicam and operating at the time. But you know, once I got out of school, sure. But you know, in those days, that was really when Steadicam was still kind of a specialty thing, and they would bring in an operator here and there for a couple of days on a movie or whatever. But a full time operator who was like maybe an A camera slash Steady or B camera slash Steady wasn't really the norm back in those days. No, not at all. So. No. Um, so at the time, I, I, you know, that was the one big thing and one of the real main reasons why I didn't pursue Steadicam earlier on was because I didn't want to be just a Steadicam operator. I wanted to operate full time and, right. and eventually become a DP. So uh, it's just funny how things went and I didn't see the writing on the wall. So I kind of came to Steadicam late in terms of actually trying to do it. And that was in, you know, after I moved out here to L.A. in the early 2000s. Um, and it, my whole career has been kind of a backwards way in, in a way. Um, because I, you know, I started shooting documentaries uh, and and music videos and uh, concert films and uh, some commercials as well. Yeah. And then moving out here, I, I sort of bumped back down to operating for a couple of years till I got established here, got to meet some people, and then well, got back documentaries into are so much different than like series television anyway. Totally. Um, it's it's a good it's a good transition for you to then learn to shoot that stuff. You know, just to know how the whole ship runs right yeah totally um but you mentioned documentaries and before i knew you my first experience with you ever was uh, a documentary called frat house um you had seen it or i had seen it okay and i didn't know i had experience i didn't even know who shot it when i saw it um how'd you see it we talked about this before probably i think we did years ago I went to the Florida Film Festival. Okay. Actually, I helped. I helped. Who was uh, some somebody in the business helped run it, and I had helped do some things for them. I, I can't even remember what it was, and so they gave me a pass to see. They let me go to a bunch of movies. One of the ones I went to was Frat House. I okay. thought it looked interesting. I was just out of college, a uh, couple years out. I had been in a fraternity, and there was this murmur around it a little too anyway i went and saw it and i thought it was great i thought it was super crazy um and then there was this whole thing about how it was fake and all this stuff from all these people who had never seen the movie yeah um and then i heard the whole story and i oh i spoke to one of the directors and i can't remember 
Which Maybe one? It Andrew was. Gerland. If it wasn't Todd Phillips, it was Andrew Gerland. It was one or the other, yeah. and I, I honestly can't. It was so long ago. But right after the movie, you know, the filmmakers are always there, and I, I chatted with them for probably a half an hour about how great it was, and just like, oh, cool. you know, what I thought. I love the way it was shot. I, I loved so much about. It, it just was because it, it was just different than most documentaries, right? You know, and um. And it's a weird subject to get into and a really hard one to insert yourself into. Like for them to get in with those guys must have been really tough. And yeah, you know, I think, well, first of all, Todd and Andrew, his partner at the time uh, who co-directed it, they looked really young. I mean, they were fresh, pretty much fresh out of NYU. So they were still pretty young. And mm-hmm. I think that was the main thing was that they were because of their age. This would have been 99-ish? Uh, no, it, we shot it, I think, in 96, maybe okay. 95, 96, because I think... If I'm not mistaken, I think 97 is when it went to Sundance and it won a Grand Jury Festival Prize there and probably did the festival circuit in 97. I didn't know it won that. Oh, I had no idea. Oh. But, um, you know, they were pretty young. But it didn't come out till 98, 99. It never came out. No, no, sorry. It didn't do the the rest of the festival circuit. I think it was 97. I couldn't have been. Because I was in Florida again. Well, it could have been anyway. We we can we don't need to argue about. Yeah, I don't. This, I mean, I don't know. I don't, you know, I know that I pretty. You know, it's a little hazy, but I'm pretty sure that '97 was the year it went to Sundance. I have no idea what other festivals. Okay. It might have been at Florida Film Festival in '98. Then or I something. think we shot about a year before though, maybe in '96. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, but they were in any case, they were pretty young, right out of NYU, and looked young. And I think that was how they were able to do it. Uh, first of all, they they were able to gain the confidence of the kids there. Because they just kind of looked like them, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a big part. Of it. And that's actually a big part of how I got the gig too, is because I, even though I was older than them, I was about I don't know exactly how much older, but you look young anyway. Yeah, so I imagine I look, you looked even younger. Than yeah, I'm like maybe I don't know somewhere around eight years older than Todd or something like that. But um, right. I looked pretty young. Yeah, and so that was one of the criteria. In addition to trying to find somebody who was pretty experienced, um, they wanted somebody who looked young and you know. So you didn't stand out too yeah. much. Right. And um, what'd you shoot? You shoot on 16 or? We shot on 16. Yeah. yeah. I, I had an Aton. I had two Atons over the years, but um, I had an Aton at the time. Oh, you owned it. Oh. And uh, yeah, we shot it on a 16. I think Super 16, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time. You shot a lot of film. We did. Yeah. We were shooting, I think we were up there for about four days each week. We'd go up like on a Thursday and we'd shoot Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For all the shenanigans on yeah. the weekend. And then maybe into Monday and then come back. And then we'd spend two days in town where we'd process film, uh, look at dailies, and then basically head back up. In town in New York? Yeah, in New York. Where was where where was you shooting? We where were you shooting? Sorry. Primarily Oneonta. SUNY Oneonta was the main campus. Okay. And uh, we shot at one other school, and I forget the name of that school. But um, Oneonta, at a certain point, we kind of got shut down up there. And that's all in the film. Yeah. Um, and you can see the shift. But um, I vaguely remember it. Um, yeah. That bit of it you kind of get run out of town almost yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) um so first of all since we're talking about it's not fake right well you know no i would say it's not fake it's a documentary i mean i think uh, because that was the main charge against it they were claiming that the 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 directors told these guys to do all this stuff well here's the thing i mean Uh uh-huh i mean not to get too philosophical or esoteric or whatever yeah, but yeah. the thing is any documentary once, once you've got a camera out there things are suddenly no longer fully reality you of know? course so um 
there are degrees of, of what you're going to do to recreate something. Maybe you recreate somebody walking through a door or whatever. But, uh, you know, I would say what we filmed really happened. I mean, these kids did everything they did for the most part uh, at Oneonta, especially. Um, everything was exactly as it appeared from my perspective. As far as all the um, hazing and everything. Went yeah, right. and I mean, we yeah. got shut out because while we were shooting some of the hazing, some older kids that had graduated came came over and saw us filming, and they didn't know what was going on, but they got really pissed off, and they took these guys outside. and like, what the fuck are you guys doing? You know, and, and it's actually in the film. You can hear the audio because there is no film at that moment because they take him outside. But, but, but he's mic'd in recording. But he's mic'd in oh. the recording, and the guy's like, you know, what are you doing, man? And they're like, no, man, these guys are cool. They're down. He's like, no, they're not cool. They're not fucking us. They're not with us. What are, you're out of your fucking minds. Get them out of here. And that was like the beginning of the shutdown. Right. So um, they woke the kids up to kind of stupid did. they were being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so, you know, the film was kind of in jeopardy at that time uh, of not being finished because we really didn't have an end to it. And there's a lot more that we wanted to do. Um, and I don't really know all the ins and outs for a variety of reasons. I think there are a variety of reasons why the film never got released commercially on HBO, which was the original producing element. Wait, um, so HBO had paid for the movie? Yeah, it was supposed to be part of uh, the America Undercover series, as I understand it. Okay. Which uh, was a pretty popular kind of documentary series that uh, was a little bit gratuitous, maybe. Dealt with drugs and sex and violence and prostitution. It's kind of the gritty, grittier documentary kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, so we ended up shutting down for a while, and they were trying to figure out what to do, and we ended up going to another school. And at that school, you see Todd and Andrew going through what the pledges go through, and they, you know, sort of the conceit was, well, if we're going to let you film this, you got to go through it too. So they kind of go through the same hazing that those other kids went through. Um, so I, you know, I guess that's maybe where some of the charges of being faked is, because they weren't students of the school. They weren't really members of the fraternity. Um, and I, you know, I could be wrong, but we may not even have been in the actual time period of uh, of the actual Hell Week or whatever. Right. So those are the elements that I think, you know, probably are getting accused of as being faked. Well, I felt like at the time, honestly, um, because I got I got emails and calls from, <clears throat> um, well, not calls, but I got. There was like email chain or whatever. I can't remember how we communicated. I, email wasn't as crazy back then. But anyway, um, I remember the national fraternity was spreading word that don't see this. It's absolutely faked. Everybody knows it's not real and all mm. this stuff. And I'm like, has anyone here besides me actually seen the film? Well, I don't think. No, of course not. Had, yeah. No. Well, not a bunch of fraternity guys. Yeah. And look, I, I personally... I hate the hazing stuff, and my fraternity didn't do it, which I, I was... I told them I'm not... Anyway, so I was not into that kind of stuff anyway. I didn't go to see it to get my jollies. I went to see a documentary, you know, yeah. <laughs> to be clear. Um, but I think that these national fraternities at the national level, they have so much money and influence, and they have a web of people everywhere. And I, I still, to this day, don't know which fraternity was in the movie. I don't think you're allowed to say, are you? Or uh, can you? It's not that I can't say. It's that I can't I remember. Don't even remember. I mean, <laughs> right. I didn't really go to schools that had big fraternities, or at least they weren't a presence in my life. So, right. Um, I don't really remember that. Okay, it doesn't matter anyway. But but a lot of them have a lot of money and influence, and I I have a feeling that pressure was put on from a lot of directions. And well, the the other big thing, and this is for sure a major factor, is that um, some of the key personnel, some of the guys, the characters that we portrayed, that we filmed in Oneonta. Uh, 
Todd and Andrew, they, you know, the one big mistake I think they did was they didn't procure releases from some of those guys before we started filming. Oh, no. And so when we got shut down, I don't think they had releases from a couple of those guys. Oh, boy. And I think That's that might have been the key moment uh, where, you know, HBO just said from a legal standpoint, they just couldn't release it. But I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's going back a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember hearing that Todd and Andrew tried to buy the movie back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And HBO said no. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that film, although like two people have seen it, yourself and myself being probably the only two. But um, no. It, well, it, a fair it, amount of I mean, people saw it, a bunch of people saw it at Sundance. It's probably available underground somewhere anyway. You would point. think so. But um, it would be, it would take some digging, I'm sure. Because it never had like a DVD or even video release at all. No. So, and probably no one's ever done a d- digital transfer. I doubt it. Right. But, so, but you know, the thing to that, even pirate it would be really hard. You it's, know, it would be interesting to see it today, though, for folks that haven't who are fans of Todd's films, because you know all the roots of his his influences and his comedy and what he's interested in, they're all right there in that film. And, yeah. Uh, and he was already an established filmmaker before that. He made a great film called Hated about Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies. Oh yeah, um, I've never seen it. I've heard of that's it. That's a really interesting film. I mean, it's it's worth seeing. It's worth seeking out. He almost got kicked out of NYU for that one. Did that's, you really? That's before I knew him. Um, but I, I really think he did a great job on Why that. Why did he almost get kicked out? I you mean, know, I know who Gigi Allen was and how crazy he was. But. <laughs> they, so, as I understand it, they, they had a sequence in the film where they brought Gigi to NYU to do a spoken word uh, performance. And I think Todd told me he got the idea because he had seen Henry Rollins do a spoken word thing at NYU in one of their you know auditoriums or whatever the week before or two weeks before, and he thought this would be a great piece for the film. So he, you know, worked it out, booked the space, advertised it to some extent, and got Gigi Allen there and filmed it. And Gigi was there, and it, I think that's in the movie too. It's definitely worth seeing for that alone. Hmm. Gigi Allen uh, is standing on stage naked. His brother is sitting in the front row. His brother was, I think, the drummer of the band, and he was also naked in the front row. And there's some NYU students filing in and sitting down, and Gigi Allen takes the mic, and he basically says to people as they're settling in, I want everybody to take a piece of clothing off, or we're not going to fucking start. And there are a couple of chuckles in the audience, and uh, but nobody really makes a move. Maybe one person takes a top off or something, but that's about it. And then he says, I'm not fucking kidding. And he proceeds to peel a banana and he shoves the banana up his ass. What? And uh, parts of it, pieces of it are falling down onto the floor below him. And then he picks those pieces up and starts throwing. He goes, I'm not fucking kidding. And he starts throwing them into the audience. At that point, people start getting up and leaving. (laughs) And (laughs) security guards start coming in to like grab them. And uh, anyway, uh, it's a whole kind of thing. And they, they, I think they haul Gigi Allen out of there, but um, it's, you know, maybe some chairs are thrown too. I can't really remember, but um, it's been a while since I've seen the film, but the school, I think accused Todd of, you know, inciting violence intentionally knowing that that was going to happen. And uh, they they had some kind of an inquest, uh-huh. and he actually wanted to film the inquest, but they told him that he couldn't. That would have been priceless to see that in the movie. But uh, that's anyway. ballsy. Yeah, that's ballsy on every level. Good for him. And by the way, no one ever knew what Gigi Allen was going to do. No, so, I mean you can't. I mean you know he's... right. So you can't be inciting if you don't actually know. Yeah, which is probably why he won the inquest. <laughs> they didn't kick him out. Yeah, right? I, the, yeah. You, how can you prove that he knew something was going to happen? I mean, so they didn't kick him out. Kick him out as far as I knew. But, um, right. 
but it's a good film. Worth That's checking funny. Out. The funny part would be if he had Gigi Allen come back and speak to the inquest to tell them, no, he did. I didn't. He didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which would not have happened, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, Gigi died at some point, kind of before that film got finished, and so oh, he the, did. Yeah, and his funeral's in it as well. So, oh, uh, wow, yeah. wow. How did did he? Kill I think himself? he OD'd. Oh, he, yeah, I think right. so. Yeah. Um, yeah, you hear his name all the time, but I actually haven't seen... There's a bunch of documentaries about him, I think, or at least... That's the one, as far as I know, that you That's like see. the one. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll check it out. Um, so, speaking of documentaries, you did um, a couple of my really famous feature documentaries that got really big. You know which ones I'm talking about. Religious and Borat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Well, Borat's not really. A Sorry, Borat's not a documentary. But documentary Fair style, docu style. Re- Religious is a documentary. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we'll start with that since it's an actual documentary. Um, Bill Maher going around the world talking to religious people. I think very openly, not with a closed mind for the most part. I mean, he has his own ideas. Yeah, you know, Bill's a curious person, and I think that yeah. religion is a topic he's fascinated by, and yeah. I think it's a genuine curiosity. And yeah, so I think he embarked on making that movie with the intention of, of trying to learn from people, trying to understand people's uh, point of view who adhere to any given religion that he you know isn't a part of, um, and uh, and really engage people on an intellectual you know standpoint. Because Bill Bill's history with religion it's, that's all in the movie too is a complex one you know he was a choir boy he was a catholic he was raised catholic Mm -hmm. was a choir boy and um but his mother was jewish and i think he talks about in the movie he he didn't know that his mother was jewish until he was like 14 or 15 or something like that and that kind of sent him into a tailspin in terms of like it just was very confusing like why didn't he know that before why didn't they ever talk about it why was he going to catholic church and anyway his father took a step back from catholicism uh i think it was because whichever pope it was at the time um decreed that it was no longer necessary to have fish on fridays and it was no longer necessary to have the mass in latin and i think his father at that point was just fed up like what do you mean we've been doing this for all this time and all of a sudden now you're telling us that it's not necessary and he completely pulled back from catholicism and pulled away and um so i think that you know he has a very complex relationship with religion Mm -hmm. and is obviously intellectually a very interesting and and intelligent person and very uh inquisitive person and so yeah and funny too and very funny which helps everything he does because he can always tinge any serious uh uh, topic he's talking about with a little bit of comedy to lighten the mood which which helps open people up i think a lot yeah and larry charles Uh who directed that film uh, and was Bill's partner in the making of that film um, is also very funny, very intelligent, and also very interested in religion. And you know, I think there are a lot of big questions that the two of them have. And this was one way to just you know spend some time exploring the bigger questions of life. Yeah, I thought it was well done. And you know, Bill, when he does stand up and even on his shows um he he says sometimes some inflammatory stuff or he's a little more hardcore about his atheism and whatever but in the film when he's one-on-one with people who are diametrically opposed to what he thinks he asks them legitimate questions not in a mocking way in an inquisitive way like you were saying and um and it makes for interesting 
content. I mean, it's 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 informative and interesting, and you learn. And he goes went to the Vatican, and yeah, he goes to a mosque, and you know, he takes his shoes off. He does everything they ask him to do. He's not, you know, he's very respectful. So it was like a little bit of a different side of Bill Maher for me. Yeah, and um, I like that side of Bill Maher because you know, I think sometimes comedians are so in their head a lot, and they're alone on a stage, and it's not that. It's, there's no give and take. It's all give, you know? So it everything they think about comes from within. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So to see that other side of him, I thought was interesting. Yeah. I, I like him in general anyway. I think he's, you know, he asks good yeah, questions. Yeah, great. Interesting guy. Yeah, but he is. But I found him even a little more, I like that side of him a lot too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was a that was a really great one, and and it, I think it, it made money. It did well, which is always good for I, documentary. You know, who knows? I I have no idea how any documentary makes money. I mean, I guess in this day and age, it's a little easier. But theatrical release documentaries, it just seems like uh, you know, when you're going up against Marvel, multi hundreds of million dollar comic book movies, how are you going to get people to sit in those seats? I don't know. But now with Netflix and Amazon and all these streaming services, I think documentaries are probably having a, a golden resurgence at the moment. Well, I think they are. And, and, you know, there is a market for them. People love documentaries. They just don't rush out to see them on night one like they do some Marvel movie. Sure. Um, but, you know, I went... As a matter of fact, I just read something in Variety or somewhere. Um, there's another documentary. Uh, there's three of them out. One is called Something the Strangers. One is the Mr. Rogers one called Won't You Be My Neighbor. And then... There's a third one. Sorry, I'm forgetting the names, but um, they've all made they've all done so well in theatrical yeah. releases. They're saying it's a documentary resurgence. Yeah, the Mr. Rogers one. I've been hearing great things about. It's fantastic. It. I gotta see it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, the and and my immediate response to that is, well, they're. I know one of them is good. They're probably all good. You know, if you have good content, people will come see it. Do you remember that one, Spellbound, years ago? The one about the spelling bee? I never saw that, but oh, I remember really? yeah, it made a huge splash. I brilliant. remember hearing about it on NPR like every single day driving to work, but right. never, never ended up seeing it. But that's the thing. It was out in theaters for a couple of weeks, and people who see it talk about it. And yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, you got to go see this. That happened with Won't You Be My Neighbor to me. Hmm. So I think documentaries, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a distribution expert or anything but it seems like they're the ones that need a little more breathing room as far as time in a theater yeah to for word of mouth to build kind of like movies used to be and now there's so much build up a year before the movie's out that people are just ready to pop by the time it comes out and and then on week two it falls off 70 percent, right yeah instead of documentaries which start low and go up anyway my my diatribe on documentaries is over. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no. But you you said I don't know how they make money, and and I think I think the first step is good content. Yeah, don't I, you? I, I, I do mean, think that it is. Well, again, things are changing now, definitely with with online streaming services. But sure. um, but I think in the old days, uh, it was the very few that made money out of the total number of documentaries made each year. I think, you know, it was always a big gamble to invest money in trying to make your own documentary. But, um, you know, some people obviously have had great success and repeated success with that. But it's there are the few, I think, or have been the few in the past. Right. Well, it just occurred to me when I said good content's the first step. And then I think about, like, fictional movies. That's not always the good marketing is the first step, right? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could have great marketing and a crappy film, and it's not going to do very well. Yeah, but a lot of them make one hundred and fifty million dollars in the first weekend. I guess so. I guess. I mean, I'm not saying just because they make that they're bad. I, but you know, a lot of the I'm not a giant fan of comic mo- comic book movies in general. Mm-hmm. But you know, people rush out to see them. They haven't heard anything about them. All they've heard is they've seen the trailer and they've. Well, they're definitely entertaining, and I do have to say, uh, although it's not necessarily my favorite genre out there. I'm pretty impressed with the level of uh, craftsmanship and, and entertainment that you get out of some of these movies. Like, I mean, Deadpool's amazing. I mean, that, that film was great. Dead, Deadpool's great. Right? Agreed. And and many of these superhero movies are really, really great. And I love the Batman trilogy. Yes. the Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, even the biggest budget occasional superhero movie at the time there was a cheesy element to them you know that you just it's a lot less now now it's just a lot more savvy and hip filmmakers are making these films and mm-hmm. uh, and they're better than they ever were yeah yeah I, I, I think you're right um, I just think a, from a business standpoint they're such different um, different things um, what else oh I mentioned Borat already okay so <laughs> um so crazy stuff happened in that movie. Um, I mean, I guess my first question was: was it was it fun to shoot? Borat was no doubt one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. Was I it? Mean, it was great. I think the entire crew, everybody I was with, we were having the time of our lives, and knowing at the time that this was a unique movie that uh, was just so different than anything else, and nothing had quite been made like it before, and anything that came after it would just be you know after it this was a a unique moment in time and uh it it was great fun i mean we laughed howled with laughter every night thinking about some of the stuff that we shot during the day couldn't believe what we got away with right um and then people signed releases for this stuff which was and sasha is an amazing amazing genius at the type of comedy he does and at that particular thing there is nobody in the world who does it better uh and you know it was it was a great moment um did you feel bad for any of the people? Because I'm just... I was going to ask you if you think he took advantage of anyone. Um, because there are certain people... There's a scene... I think it's in Alabama where he's in people's uh, in some people's house. And I think he... What does he do? He does... does the, he, so, the Southern Dinner? Yeah. Well, you know, um, that's a complex question. I mean, do I feel bad? I, I feel bad... I guess I feel bad anytime somebody... Um, you know, suffers a consequence of something that they do, like deciding to be in a movie and signing a release and then realizing it way too late that they, they said things and did things that they might not have said and done if they'd fully been aware of what they were doing right. or what the end all Well, I'm result. trying to remember, did those people, did they say kind of egregious stuff? I don't remember. Well, everybody signed release forms. You know? No, 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 no. I know. Did they say stuff that I don't. Oh, certain, the people, dinner? certain people said some uh, crazy things. I just yeah, don't remember. There, at the Southern Dinner, I think there are things that were said there by a lot of those folks that um, a lot of people, other people, took offense w- to. Would, would cringe at. Okay, all right. Um, it's really hard to say whether they're embarrassed about what they said or not. Um, sure. But, you know, it's everyone has uh, a different point of view and mindset and uh, political views. And views about uh, homosexuality and uh, same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff. So whether or not those particular people in that dinner are uh, ashamed of what they said, who knows? But um, I think a lot of people in America were shocked by what was said at that dinner. Um, But to answer your original question, do I feel bad or did I feel bad about anybody that we filmed? 
You know, I can't say. I think the only people that come to mind, there maybe two. There was one older couple that um, had an antique shop. And, um, you know, we did a, a gag. I'm not even sure if it's in the movie. I think it is. But some things were broken in the shop, but they weren't actually antiques that were owned by them. Like we had propped them and put in things intentionally that we would break so that we weren't breaking their real antiques. Gotcha. But it would seem like he was doing that. And I think this one older guy kind of got a little upset about it. And, uh, you know, it, he was older and his wife was very concerned about him and he seemed to get upset. So I felt bad there because it was like a misunderstanding kind of thing. Like he clearly thought that his antiques were being Oh, broken. he didn't realize it wasn't his. Yeah. Oh, so, right, right, you know, right. he, he got upset. Yeah. Um, and I think I, if I recall correctly, there's one instance where there might have been a person who worked at a news station who she might have lost her job after that somewhere and and i don't know whatever came of that but that's certainly something i feel bad about and i don't know sure. uh whatever may have came of that but well the question is why she lost <laughs> she may have deserved it well I don't know. you know probably giving us access in the first place i don't know yeah I maybe mean, you know it's um it that's that's a, a tough movie to make in that sense i mean i you know i don't think i could do that movie in any other capacity than than i did it in in other words i don't think i could have uh necessarily been the person to ask people to sign releases on that movie uh-huh um, um were you operating on that movie i did yeah you so okay yeah um so you're in the room with all that stuff that um oh you mentioned releases how did they so how did they get some people to sign them and how did they approach them as far as um did they say we're making a documentary like or or did they you know, just say we're making I, I a movie? Honestly, I don't know a lot about the ins and outs of that. I mean, I know that from a legal standpoint, uh, everything was on the up and up in terms of the actual legal uh, releases. Um, and, and I know that because from what I've heard, I, I don't think any of the lawsuits against... Right, they got sued and never lost. Many people think, right? sued, and I don't think yeah. anybody... Maybe there might have been one instance, one person, but out of probably dozens and dozens of lawsuits that actually had any merit. So, I mean, you know, uh, you have big attorneys for a, a big motion picture production company um, or studio behind it. So, I mean, they, they cross their T's. And that's and not to say that, eyes. right, that's not to say that they fixed it after. It means to say that they had it right the first time. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah I never... I, the, for the most part, at least, right? Yeah. Yeah. You would expect that. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting. I'm just curious. I don't know if... I don't know if I could hold hold my shit together shooting all that stuff that, well, that some was of it's so funny probably and, the like, hardest part like not laughing I mean we, I literally I don't know for sure about everybody but I'm pretty sure others too I mean I personally would sometimes have to cover my face acting like I was holding the eyepiece of the camera and kind of with my palm shading or hiding my face from people I was shooting or even sometimes framing it in such a way where the matte box would hide my face from the people that were who were filming right um, and I'd bite my tongue or the inside of my cheek sometimes i'd reach around and pinch myself really in my back really really hard just to take your mind off of i mean it, there were insanely <laughs> hilarious moments that you know to not laugh was absolutely one of the harder things to do while yeah. also trying to operate and catch the moment in a very documentary vein because we didn't know what was going to happen we didn't know how people were going to react and we we had a sense of how the scene might go and some of the things sasha was going to say but 
there were lots of jokes that he would put out there that we had no idea were coming. And when he'd say them, they're just ridiculously funny. And to see the reactions of people and how, you know, so yes, that was maybe one of the more difficult aspects of it. Well, you're, you're almost an actor. Uh, to some extent. I mean, we, you know, we did have sort of a cover story and, um, anytime there was a break in filming, you know, if, if Sasha had to go to the restroom or maybe go talk to Larry mm-hmm. while we were filming, there were those moments where for a brief period of time, our subjects would kind of look around and the spell was broken to some extent and they'd be looking at us and sometimes they'd be like, yeah, so does this guy seem kind of weird to you? <laughs> you know, and we kind of have to shrug it off and be like, ah, oh, you know, we deal with a lot of uh, foreign journalists and yeah, there's some weird ones. He's, he's not that weird. But we just have to play it off like that. Right. Like it's just normal. And it makes you a it makes you a character in a certain extent, at least in their minds. Yeah. You know? I mean To that extent. You're playing a part. Yeah. Yeah. And well, even when you're shooting, if they look at you and you're laughing. No, you can't. I mean you cannot. Of course, of yeah. course not. So my, my point being you're you're acting, you're yeah. you're you know, which is it's a weird thing. And I'm 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 guessing the same is true in documentaries sometime, although it's not gonna be as outrageous as Borat. Um but I mean, you've shot a lot of docs. Have you ever? Do you feel the same way? Or uh, is... yeah, I mean, you know, when you're shooting a, a straightforward documentary, you definitely want to just blend in and be as unobtrusive as possible. You know, you're mm-hmm. just there to document the thing, and you definitely don't want to influence in any way, if possible, while we're filming the thing, because you just, you know, you don't, you're not, you're not the subject, mm-hmm. and you don't want to distract the subject. And um, so, it, it's its own, you know, unique filmmaking form. Um, and I, I, before I shot documentaries, I worked for a lot of documentary cameramen in New York and some of the best, I think. And that's where I learned a lot about camera operating and just, you know, the ins and outs of shooting documentaries and, uh, but handheld operating for sure. I, I, I have to say that probably everything I know about it, I learned from Robert Leacock, who's a fantastic documentary cameraman. And I worked for him for a number of years as his AC. Oh, really? And he gave me my first couple of breaks, uh, operating on some of the movies that he was shooting as well. And, um, you know, he taught me some concrete stuff about how to operate handheld and to be seamless and smooth and be part of the moment and, and reactive, but, you know, not, not delayed reactive. Like you're in it and you're aware of everything that's happening and you're kind of like almost half predicting and sensing what's happening. So you don't lose the moment. Right. Well, if two people are arguing, you have to you have to understand what the argument is, yeah. what they might do. There's no right? second take in those things. You right. got to, you know, you really got to nail it. So, well, I worked in I worked in news for a, a short time, so I had some of that, not as much as you, because you're following subjects around, um, but in a in a lot of the same way. I mean, when the cops showed up, like there's cops, like they're only coming once. Yeah. Same same thing. Yeah. Um, but um, it it's a really interesting, fun thing to do. I. I would have rather start in documentaries than in news. <laughs> Not that I didn't enjoy it, but I saw too much, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Down I in Florida, especially. Was in it Virginia, there? actually. Oh, it was Virginia? In, Ro- in Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. Uh, at a CBS affiliate there. But um, um, but what you the funny thing is what you find out is any... This is a minor, smallish city. And couple hundred thousand people and you know there are plenty of murders and stabbings and you know craziness that goes on my first day of interning there because i interned first there was a murder a double murder suicide wow in roanoke virginia in 1996 that's a heavy first day yeah you know so and and, you stayed (laughs) yeah well i had a great teacher he went to usc film school 
you know the the guy shooting that was teaching me did, uh his name was doc but he you know that's where i learned about the body shot you got to get the because i was like we have the story right and he's like no 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 we got to wait till the bodies come out of the house on the stretcher so we can get the body shot I go, wow yeah Grim. um and then i started learning the rules of that particular news station which was no blood on the air ever it was owned by a christian family they owned a bunch of i don't know eight or ten i think and that was their rule, which I think is a good rule. So they don't go by the bleed lead thing, but they still do body shots and yeah. they still want to see the mayhem. But yeah, you cut your own stories. If you ever cut one drop of blood into a story, you're fired. Wow. That's it. Incredible. So my first story that ever went on the air, I was still interning and the chief photog said to Doc, hey, you know, when there's a story that's probably won't make air but whatever give brad the camera go with him let him shoot it help him out okay so we're almost on the air that night and we hear on the scanner um dog attack dog attacking woman right near the station so he's like you're doing this story so we go there i shoot so much i shoot way too much um but this dog she lived mauled this lady wow her he bit her face he bit her every part of her body is bleeding so how do you cut that together without any that's blood? a great question and i <laughs> i did a 45 minute story sorry a 45 second or one minute i can't remember story on it and i managed to cut it without blood in it wow of course if you're wide enough to yeah that can you can't see it whatever but um it was a great learning experience it was you know i was kind of lucky that was my first one and they aired it the next night i think hmm. Because um, it turned out to be bad enough, and it attacked somebody else too. That same, her husband or something had already been wow. anyway. So it's pretty fairly serious. But, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that was my. <laughs> um, but anyway, enough about me. Um, let's talk about me some more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing these stories. These are good. I haven't heard these before. Well, I haven't heard yours, so that's that's why you're here, so you can hear. I can hear your stories, because believe me, I've. I've already started repeating my stories on this thing. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some people are like, okay, well, yeah, we got it. We got it. <laughs> I try not to. But, um, and as I told you before, I don't edit much. So I don't really take them out. But um, let's see. Oh, another thing I noticed that I had no idea of, speaking of things I didn't know, you did a lot of music stuff in New York, I think as an assistant, right? Yeah, I was an AC for a couple of DPs who did a lot of music stuff a lot of concert films and uh music videos um tony mitchell was one a great great dp phenomenal shooter beautiful vision and eye and um and he's still working he's in hamburg germany now really um yeah he does as far as i know he does commercial work and uh and i'm not sure what else he might do some narrative stuff there too but he's been an expat now for many many years but he was one of my first mentors and uh i was an ac for him for quite a few years and one of his assistants was Crescenzo Notarile who's a, a DP who's now doing a lot of great television and uh, I know him from CSI oh you a do little, yeah, yeah a tiny bit yeah yeah he's he's in another phenomenal DP who I you know had the good fortune to be an AC for for a number of years and uh and consider him a great friend and learned a lot from him um and and it's funny you know he was Tony's assistant and then there was another assistant Jim Gucciardo who uh, is really the guy that took me out of the camera rental house and took me under his wing as a second AC. And he was huh. firsting for both Tony and for uh, Crescenzo. And then when he moved up to operating and shooting his own stuff, I kind of became 
Tony's and Crescenzo's first AC. Uh, for Crescenzo, he was bi-coastal, so it was really his New York guy. Mm. Um, I think Nino Dotto was his primary AC out here in L.A. at the mm. time. And But, um, yeah, those are great years. And so they did a lot of music videos. We, I mean, together... Working for those guys, uh, I mean, th- those were kind of the heyday of music videos, to my mind. I mean, that's when there were real budgets, oh, and yeah. MTV was a huge juggernaut, still playing a lot of real music videos. And, You'd be uh, talking about, like, the l- late 80s? Uh, well, no, early 90s in early my case. 90s, yeah, it was okay. like, uh, actually, I left the rental yeah, house. Yeah, it was still big in the early 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah I left the rental house in 1990, and so 90 to, like, 95 is when I was working for those guys, and we did, you know... A lot of music videos and concerts, um, Black Sabbath, and um, oh, see, that's one I didn't know. I was gonna say that there's just what I could find on IMDb: Billy Joel, Harry Connick Jr., Eagles, Eric Clapton, Annie, Le- Annie Lennox, Roger Waters. Yeah, it's not bad. And Black yeah. Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there are a lot more, but that, yeah, those are the big. I guess those are the ones that got. Uh, they were like TV made specials into, or something. Well, yeah, feature length, like concert films, basically. Oh, feature the feature length. A lot of those were, yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Black Sabbath was a feature length. Um, the one that I'm thinking of was called The Last uh, Supper Tour, and there were a lot of people involved in that. I wasn't the sole DP on that by any means. I did mostly the documentary behind the scenes stuff. Uh, oh, you shot though. I shot. Yeah, oh, I was a DP. Cool. Uh, shooting in dressing rooms and backstage, and also the performances. Um, and that was great. And, you know, before that, did stuff with uh, with Ozzy Osbourne as an AC for Tony Mitchell hmm. and Crescenzo for those guys. Um, but, yeah, I think the Annie Lennox thing, I think, was a TV special. Um, I don't know. Uh, Billy Joel, that was probably a TV special. I don't know. That was at Yankee Stadium. That was my first big concert project. I was, like, maybe two months out of the rental house. And all of a sudden, I was the key second AC in Yankee Stadium for a 14-camera 35 millimeter, you know, concert film for Billy Joel. Wow. Which was amazing. Wow. Um, but of course, I didn't see much of it because I was, you know, handling the oh. loading and running the loading department. And uh, that was probably your biggest just just scheduling mags properly. Yeah. Making sure all the runners are taking the mags to the right places and, yeah, organizing all that. Uh, but it was great. You know, a lot of the people that worked on that were friends of mine from uh, CSC because that's where I came from and worked at the rental house. Yeah, you so. probably had to pull some loaders out of other places. Huh? Uh, yeah, I, mean, we, I, I don't even know how many seconds we had on that in loaders, but there were a lot. At, sure, at least ten or fifteen. Yeah, I was. Well, I was going to say, well, you have like ten seconds, maybe, or something like that, and yeah. then five, six loaders, probably. I think more. I mean, we were running. Yeah, you're 14 running f- cameras full time. So yeah, thousand footers. I mean, it was a long time ago. I don't know, but there were a lot of us on that show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I knew a girl that loaded for the Super Bowl. Probably maybe one of the last ones that shot 16. Actually, they may shoot it a tiny bit now. I don't think they do. But NFL Films. And she loaded, and she was like one of, I can't remember, 12, 15 or something. They had a bunch of cameras. Yeah. She said that it's all bags, too. They don't, it's not even a dark room. So it's like a bunch of people in a room, but you're all in bags. Yeah. But she said, like, you barely get out of the bag, you know. It's just unzip, zip, hand a two, take another one, zip, zip. And, um, yeah, that would be awful. And the Super Bowl's going on, so it's probably, like, a roar in the room at the time. Yeah. But um, would have been the same at Yankee Stadium. That must have been great. It was fun. It was great fun, yeah. Yeah. So those were your New York days. Then you then you moved to L.A. and, and became a big shot. 
hardly a big shot, but you know, trying to eke out a living and having fun, and uh, I guess I, I feel pretty lucky to be working. And uh, well, you you've been working really nonstop um, for for quite a while on a bunch of really great shows. Um, you're currently on Ballers. Uh, well, I'm shooting Shameless right now. Sorry, I, I wrapped up Ballers. Ballers and Shameless, four, kind of right. <laughs> and season five of Ballers is going to start before too long, but and we're just at the tail end of Shameless right now. But yeah, I mean, I I feel really lucky. But you know, the thing I feel, well, first of all, two things I feel really lucky about: um, shooting shows that I think are good shows that yeah. are you know well written, well liked by audiences, and just fun to work on. And um, you know, I've somehow, I don't know how, but I've somehow managed to stay in L.A., which is my home now, all these years. I mean, I, you know, I've done one movie where I had to leave town for about four months. Uh, shooting in Morocco and and uh, Vancouver, but other than that, that was another been, Larry Larry Charles. That was yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I've just you know uh, occasionally go out of town here and there for a week or two, or maybe up to a month at a time at most. But I haven't done a whole series out of town the way so many of my friends have, like yourself, mm-hmm. um, like Jeff Schatz, another Steadicam operator who's now does he even live in L.A. anymore? I think he's an Atlanta guy full time. I think he but, is, and he's directing. Yeah. Jeff's a great guy, but I haven't yeah. seen him in years, and a good friend, and um, yeah. So, well, let's talk about all that stuff you've been working on. Um, let's take a let's let's take five for a second. Uh, all right, turn the AC back on. Okay. <laughs> all right. Wait, let me make sure I didn't screw this up. Nope, I didn't. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Mescal enters the frame, you never know. Yeah, I was going to thank you. You brought this fantastic... Okay, do me a favor. Explain it all like you explained it to me. All right. The you short story this is... Too, like, well, this this is my favorite Mescal. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Mescal. It's probably my favorite spirit. This one is Mescal Real Minero. So Minero is a particular type of Mescal that's made from clay stills. It's an old school method. Really? The, the, yeah, the stills are actually made of clay. They're very fragile. I was going to say. Um, you'll find them throughout the Oaxaca Valley, which is where mezcal comes from. Uh, mezcal is kind of like champagne in that if it doesn't come from that area of Mexico, it right. can't be called mezcal, right, just right. like champagne. Um, and this particular species of maguey, which is the fruit that they, uh, the plant and the fruit that they make mezcal from, is tobala. Tobala is a mountain grown species that I've been told does not tolerate being grown near other of its own type so much. So, so you, you have to grow them all alone. Oh, well, you told me they're kind of wild. They're kind of wild, and you kind of have to go out there and find them. And uh, I mean, I don't know. This is all secondhand information. But but I do know that it's a little bit more rare, and it tends to be more pricey. And for mescaleros, people who really love it, uh, they tend to be aficionados like Tobala the best. And um, friends of mine and I who are into Tobala and other mezcals, we, we've done a taste testing blind taste testing with like 12 or 14 different bottles and um this one came up as my favorite and like four other people that we did a blind taste testing of so i like this one a lot but i like mezcals in general they're all different and unique and like bourbons there's yeah. shape and depth to all of them but but this yeah. one's a good one special one well it's very good and i'm i'm not generally like a giant mezcal fan but um i like this a lot and i'm just noticing i'm looking at this <clears throat> Uh, Harvest 2013, batch number L0014. It's all handwritten. Is this really handwritten? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a small. This particular distillery is a small and it's uh, setup. Bottle 533 out of 660, <laughs> and yeah. Oh, and they had to write the percentage on 
because each one's a little different. Yeah, they're all different coming out of the still. 49.3%. Yeah. Wow. Is it Mezcal Real Monero? That's oh, really great. It must be expensive, huh? All Mezcal, uh, except for the cheap, shitty stuff, is expensive. This one is probably a $140 bottle. Mm. Well, thanks for but sharing. you're worth it, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like a really, you're an originalist in a lot of different things. And you have interesting hobbies, I find. But like one of them, like for example, you guys can't, the listeners can't see this, but we have these. Um, copitas. Copitas, which are little cups, right? Yeah. My wife, who is like, I mean, my wife is the most wonderful wife in the world. She's great. Um, she's just super sweet. She's and a lovely lady. She made these. She had these. She she uh, commissioned these copitas, which are these cups. They're like shallow bowls that are traditional vessels for drinking mezcal in. And they're made of clay. And these particular ones are glazed. And they've got a beautiful kind of blue. They're beautiful. Two-tone glaze. And she commissioned a potter that she found on Etsy <laughs> uh, and said, hey, listen, I don't know if you could do this, but this is what I'm looking for. And the potter said, yeah, I think I can do that. So she, this was my Christmas gift uh, two years ago. It's such a nice gift. Oh, it's great. It's a set of four of these copitas. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad to share this with you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And you also shared this salt, mm. which... Sel de Gusano. So that's, um, it's worm salt. It's made. It's fantastic. From salt that includes the dried and pulverized uh, bodies of these worms mm -hmm. that actually live in the cactus uh, plant of the maguey. You know what's great about it? What's that? You can really taste the worm. Well, they, they take the worm and they, they kind of toast it a little bit and dry it out. And I think they toast it with chilies and some other stuff. So it's smoky. Yeah. And I don't know. It's kind of, I like it. You know, it's they eat chapulinas. That's the other thing. When you go to Oaxaca, that was the uh, shocker to me. With the what? Uh, chapulinas. They're grasshoppers that are fried. Oh, And it's, right. it's like popcorn. You go to a bar right. and they'll put out a bowl of fried grasshoppers. <laughs> and I mean, it took me a minute to kind of get over... Yeah, yeah. The sort of like, oh my god, am I really doing this? But they're delicious. I mean, you right. know what? If you take lime and chili and uh, cayenne and a few other spices and you fry anything up, it's going to be delicious. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and they uh, do ants too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you know, these grasshoppers, it's uh, it's a major source of protein. Yeah. And well, they're starting to make flour with um. Yep. What is it? And like beetle uh, no. energy bars too. Yeah, there's. They've started realizing that insects are actually way more sustainable like, than like beef. Exactly. With the water and a great and, food source. Yeah. And yeah, I know it's disgusting culturally for us and it probably won't take but off. But hey, too that fast, worm salt's not bad, right? It's fantastic. So it just looks good too. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's like, it's, 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 it's not, um, it's chunky. Is yeah. Is that the right word? It's, uh, yeah. It's got it's texture. Chunky. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Try and it. I love salt with, with uh with mezcal so anyway um enough booze talk well we could go into bourbon but then we'd have to do like a two hour you know we'll come back podcast. for part two <laughs> part two the bourbon hours <laughs> <laughs> um and by the way we need to go to that bar that mezcal slash bourbon bar in west LA. yeah oh, i'd love to think it's called neat yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't believe you weren't there with him. We went for I my birthday. I don't know. I, yeah, I must have missed that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you know, you never show up for me. So That's I'll... not true. I'm here now. <laughs> and by the way, I'm kidding. my birthday was a couple weeks ago, and you didn't show up to my birthday. 
I know. I'm so, sorry about that. That's yeah, okay. But, but I did tell you that I couldn't make it. That's fine. I told you I would try. But I'm calling you on that because you're telling me I don't show. I was I was joking though. <laughs> you were being serious. How dare you? I am sorry I didn't make it. I, I really wanted to go. I You're unfortunately a man on the town, and you had other business to attend. You to. know what? Most weekends I sit here waiting for my phone to ring, and this particular weekend, on that particular day, I had something else going on, and and I just had to had to go. It's all good. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your I, forgiveness. I apparently missed yours last year, so you know. Good point. Good point. Okay, we're, let's call it even. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you were. We, we mentioned Shameless. You're on Shameless right now. I love that show. I think it's a really Shameless is super fun. I, you know, I, I feel really lucky in that respect. I've I've been able to uh, book shows that are just I think well written and mm-hmm. have a big fan following. Shameless is an amazing cast and great writing, and it's just fun. It's irreverent and crazy shit happens and. Um, it's pretty raw, you know, like the, that's that's one thing about it. We shoot fast. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like no overtime. We do 12-hour days or less, period. Very infrequently do we go past 12 hours. Why is that? It's just the way the show is run and the producer's edict, and it's just, that's it. I love that. And so... Is that out of respect for the crew and for themselves and for It the is a big part and... of it. When I interviewed for the job, they told me, you know, we don't do a lot of late nights. We try to get everybody home on a Friday night before midnight, if possible. And um, we want people to have weekends and lives. We want people to get home to their loved ones during the week. We, we want to do 12 hours or less a day. And well, let me do, let me applaud them for that. I have to them. say, it's been, it's been amazing. You know, right. like so many weeks... It's a Thursday, and we're having a 7 a.m. call time. Wow. It's great. And oftentimes, we'll have a 7 or 8 or 9 o'clock call time on a Friday. Beautiful. So, I mean, it's been the rare instance that we'll go past maybe 10 o'clock, 10, 30, 11 on a Friday. Very rare. So, that's been great. The flip side of it is that it's it's pressured. You know, twelve to get the job done, the number of scenes... The number of pages. It's definitely the most challenging show in that respect for me that I've ever done because we're doing, I shit you not, we're doing nine to 10 pages, 10 plus pages average per day, mm-hmm. seven, eight, sometimes nine scenes a day. Mm. You do the math, there's just not much time to get these scenes done. And sure. they're not necessarily small scenes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you look at that and you realize that if we're going to really do this in 12 hours, it's going to be a little down and dirty. It's going to be a little bit rough. It's going to be a little, you know, broad strokes. Uh, I took the show knowing that I'm so not going to... So you have to make some compromises oh, lighting-wise. absolutely. And by the way, uh, you know, I think it works for the show. Um, from season one and, and the pilot on, um, it, the show has a rough look to it, but I think that works for the show. I mean, the subject matter is about this like family that's I've always liked the look to the show it's not overlit totally it's it's very I think very naturalistic it's kind of like lit the room's lit yeah a bit which I I like a a bit so I've kind of gone with that as much as possible and embraced it and um, you know it is it is its own thing and you know I came on season nine you know um, mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying the show. Bill Macy is amazing. The rest yeah. of the cast, everybody's really been amazing. The crew's amazing. The the producers are great. Uh, it's a. I feel blessed to be on the show. Cool. Um, is Steve Hurston still on that show? By the way, who? I'm sorry. No, you would know. Steve Hurston. No, you would know if I. No, no, he's he must not be. Does not ring. Steve a bell. Hurston. What, yeah, what is Hurston. he? Or, he's an assistant. A he camera pro- system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, that's... I, I know he was on eight years ago. I, I did just... bring my own camera crew on for the most part. Oh, okay, part. yeah, yeah. Um, 
just people that I've worked with for years. Um, I, the one exception is Matt Ballantyne, who was the A camera operator from prior years, including last year. And um, I took him on board because heard great things about him. And I, I knew him socially, actually. I knew him through a friend of mine, Owen uh, Smith. Uh, just never met him before. And or actually, I did meet him once years ago at a like a barbecue, but we'd never worked together. And this just seemed to be the right opportunity for it. He knew the show. He knew the look of it. He's a great handheld operator, and the show is handheld. And the whole uh, show is handheld, right? Ninety nine percent. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we do a little bit of crane here and there. A little bit of Steadicam. Occasionally, Dolly. You know what? There's no Steadicam in L.A., and that's another one of the sort of edicts that comes. Oh, they from only do it high. in Chicago. We do it in Chicago, but not here in L.A. Um, that's funny. Yeah, it's just huh. you know. Listen, it's season nine. I'm not going to change. No, 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 the no. Way yeah. things are. No, I'm not saying you should. I'm just. Uh, it's an interesting. Uh, it's it an is. interesting thing. Yeah, it is. Why? Do you know why that is? I, I no, I can't say that. I, I mean, I'd be guessing. So I really yeah, don't yeah. know for sure. You just know that's a rule. But you know, I think economics play a part of it. Okay. I mean, to carry a full time steady. Well, if you're not going to use it much, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, every everybody wants to. Uh, save their nickels and dimes as much as they can. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. They're running a business. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So you're enjoying it. I do. I, I am. It enjoying sounds it. great. I mean, the I description mean, it's here. you know, it's uh, I took it uh, because a good friend of mine, John Labrucherie, who I knew from years ago from Entourage, he called me about it, and um, he's a great guy, great producer, and um, happy to be working with him again. Um, and again, top to bottom, everybody's great. But I did take it knowing that there will be no Emmy nominations or <laughs> Emmy wins on this. It's it's not about cinematography in terms of lighting. Um, we do, I mean, I think we're doing interesting things. I think we will do some interesting shots for sure. Um, I definitely try to inject it with uh, whatever I can compositionally and camera movement wise. But lighting wise, it's, it's a little on the rough side. Um, so, you know, I'm embracing that. Uh, you know... I feel like the lighting has always kind of fit the story. Yeah. And it and doesn't I, I draw attention to itself. I agree so. with you. I, I think it yeah. works for the story. So it works for yeah. the subject matter. Have you done a Chicago We did one yet? week in Chicago so far. Already, Basically, right. this year we're doing 14 episodes. I think it's been 12 in prior years oh, okay. uh, per season on uh, typically. But this year we're doing 14. And they're I think they're going to break them up in the airing uh, blocks as seven to air and then a break and then another seven to air. And in the shooting, we shot seven episodes in L.A., and we went to Chicago for a week. Then we came back to L.A., and we're uh, almost finished with the last seven. We're on episode 11 of 14 Oh, you're right almost now. done. Yeah, episode <laughs> 11. And so at the end of October, we'll go back I'm... to Chicago for the last week, week and a half. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you might get a little snow. I know. And by the way, we're doing, uh, well, maybe this is a spoiler alert. I don't know if this is going to air or be In online. a few weeks, so... If if you have doubts, don't say it. Yeah, <laughs> but the weather's going to be a factor because oh, okay, know, we'll see. A lot of what we're doing is kind of summertime, so we'll see oh, how okay. that plays out. Oh oh oh, you might have to fake some stuff. Yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Well, I heard a story um, from Eric Fletcher about uh, Bill Macy running on the beach on the lake in the middle of the winter in like minus ten with no clothes on. <laughs> You know what? I think Fletcher did like uh, I can't remember how many he's gone to Chicago to do the. That Bill unit. Macy on. is amazing. Yeah. And by the way, shout out to Eric Fletcher. I love Eric. Eric's great. Um, but yeah, Bill Macy is incredible. He he. I think he's sixty eight, sixty seven, or sixty eight. No, I've seen him do what? somersaults like 
flips, full-on flips. He'll climb any fence. He'll climb onto a truck. He will do the majority of his own stunts. He's that. He can't be that. He old. will run. Yeah, he's he's really. He's you know he's been he around. looks so much younger than that. I mean, look at his Wikipedia page. It's amazing. Uh, he he looks very young. He is in incredible shape. And he will do all kinds of physical stuff. It's incredible. He really is. A friend of a friend of mine was friends with Felicity, his okay. wife. Yeah. And I used to see them at the Grove, probably 13 years ago. I used to see them at the Grove sometimes. Where at that time when somebody, when they could walk around there, although they were less famous then too, I guess. But when people could walk around there without getting noticed, now it's like no one would ever go. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't go there. Yeah. I know. I can't stand it when people recognize me over there. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it for that. I just meant it's just turned into like... No, I know. The Grove is... Uh, it's like yeah. a tourist trap now. And it, yeah. it, it's so, it used to be so L.A. And the... Yeah, anyway. Um, Boo-hoo. Yeah. But <laughs> but honestly, he, he is remarkable and amazing to work with and to see. And I hope to be, you know, one-fifth as spry as he is when I'm his age. Well, hell yeah. I mean, if he's if he's doing all that, I had no it's idea he was that old. Yeah. And he's a great guy. I mean, I'm not calling him old, but he's older than I He's older than, than I, I am. thought he was. Well, you look about 32. Well, you have good genes. I appreciate that. You have good genes. You have the you have the that that it's Filipino, right? Uh Korean. Korean, sorry. Yeah, my mom's Korean. The Asian part of you that's that's um, probably has a factor the young in factor. It. Is your mother still? Yeah, around? she's. Yeah, I know your dad she's, passed last year. My dad passed away last year. Uh, he was is an American guy. Was an American guy uh, of British descent, um, and he was seventy eight when he passed away, seventy eight or seventy nine, uh, maybe just about seventy nine. But my mom is eighty four and doing quite well. She's in incredible shape, uh, both mentally and physically, and has a very active social life. And you know, knock on wood. She's uh, she's a she's a powerhouse dynamo. And, Is she still uh, in New York? She's still in New York. Yeah, I think she always will be. Although she talks about possibly moving out here, but uh, New York's a good place for well, her. Well, that wouldn't be a bad thing as she gets a little older. I mean, it's nice for her to stay with her friends. Though she's got an active social life, and yeah, yeah. and the you know, thing about New York, though, although I've you know I I lived there for thirty six years, grew up there. And I'm happy out here now, but she points out as an older person in New York, you know, you don't need to drive anywhere. Right. You can take a cab, you can whatever, take Uber or Lyft as you can in any place, but things get delivered. A lot closer too. Yeah, it's like a walking city and you don't really, you mm -hmm. know, here in LA, you're stranded without a car, essentially, in a lot of places. That's true. You just, well, you're in Pasadena. I mean, if you... You, you could live you in a neighborhood, you could your live in Silver Lake, there. you could live in Venice, you could live in walking neighborhoods, but... This is a walking neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a huge city. So if you're going to get around to other places... It's a city of you neighborhoods. You gotta, you know... Now with Lyft and Uber, it's a whole other Super thing. easy, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, but I, what I'm assuming is your mother would find a place where her people kind of were already. She, you know what? If she moved out here, she'd probably live close to me, wherever that's right. going to be, I right. imagine. But, right, um, right. Um, we'll see. But, but the reason, the reason um, I brought that up is because... Your mom is a fashion designer. She was. She's retired, but yeah. Well, I said what? Well, yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> she she was a fashion designer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how how much effect that's had on your career, um, as as a creative person. Well, 
Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, a little. I mean, you know, I mean, I can tell you that um, growing up uh, in, you know, around the fashion business and going to her design studio a lot as a kid, I, I would go there. She, you know, had a studio, various studios at different times of her career and different companies uh, on Seventh Avenue. And um, I'd go there after school or whatever. And one of the great things about a design studio for fashion is there are endless prismatic colored uh you know markers and pencils and paper and pads and i would just sit there in a corner i would sketch and draw and it's do like wonderland these. for a kid it's amazing i would yeah. just sit there and draw for hours i would you know sometimes i'd do paisley patterns or prints or i would just do whatever i would sometimes do still life uh drawings of plants or any number of things and uh enjoyed it and and had a great time and and i'm sure she encouraged that totally she always wanted me to go into an artistic field. And was your dad artistic too? Or? Well, he was a, yeah, he was a bohemian artist and musician, jazz musician. And he did stained glass art uh, mm. and fused glass and a couple of other things too. So definitely always an artistic background in both my parents. Cool. Um, and it was always encouraged. And, you know, it's one of those funny things. I didn't I, know that about your dad. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, well, you know, I didn't know my dad that well. We got to know each other as when I was an adult, mm -hmm. for the most part. I met him only a handful of times as a kid. My parents got divorced when I was like a year old, year and a half. And I had a stepdad for a long time. Um, but my actual biological dad, I didn't get to know that well until I moved out to California as an adult. Sorry. I was thinking of your stepdad because I knew you had parents in new york i didn't realize that you're oh yeah logical i I'm yeah, totally... he was out here all right i'm catching up now oh no worries i mean you know this is stuff we don't really talk about that much but yeah. um yeah my stepdad that's a whole nother story but we're not uh we don't talk different podcasts yeah that's uh we, he you know he's an asshole he's out of your life that's another story yeah okay that's too bad well you know uh every, there's a learning experience in everything and for one thing i learned how, what not to be like from him so right. there's a positive in that yeah yeah i mean you're supposed to learn from every experience absolutely so it's good that you did um but your you but your mom is obviously not with him anymore and... no they've been divorced since i was in my late 20s oh okay yeah, great i think I was 28 or 27 when they got divorced god you know it just occurred to me you you were talking about stories we don't tell I'm not going to even remotely ask you, but you told me a story a long time about the boarding school and everything <laughs> about the, 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 the South America and, Oh, well, yeah. Okay. So I'll tell no, you a little about, about that. If you want to hear about it. I, no, I I just, I, I can tell you a little bit about it. Super. Give me a, the quick version. Okay, cause, I went cause to, to do it right. We have to do with like podcasts. Well, <laughs> I went to a boarding school uh, for high school after ninth grade. I went to uh, elementary school in New York City, a school called Ethical Culture, which was a great school, and it fed into a middle school and a high school called uh, Fieldston, which was in Riverdale in the Bronx. So there were three private schools in Riverdale, Fieldston, Horace Mann, and uh, Riverdale. Riverdale, by the way, is the school that in the Archie comics, that's the school oh, where right, they went. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you grew up in Manhattan, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and a lot of people that went to Fieldston went you know we're from manhattan we oh. took buses up there or subways or however we got up there but yeah. um went there through ninth grade and then went to a boarding school in connecticut and um the school in connecticut was called choate it was a great school i loved very it. very well known world famous i think right it was a great experience yeah. i really had a great time and it's a great school um i in fact my 
I'm not going to say what year it is, but no, it's fine. next year I have a reunion, and it's a big number. It's scary how big that number is. Ah, uh, your 50th reunion. Yeah, my 65th <laughs> reunion I'll be going to next year. So uh, looking forward to seeing all the old geezers. Um, but but that'll be fun. And um, I, I really do have a lot of great friends from that school, and uh, um, I have nothing but great things to say about this school. But there was a cocaine scandal that uh, that hit that school. At the time I was there, and um, you know, you were you were somewhat involved. I wasn't. I mean, I my roommate. Right. That's why I mean, like you weren't involved, but you were kind of involved just by. My roommate was involved proximity to a to an extent, and he's a great guy, and he's done his service, <laughs> and uh, you know, paid his. Oh, this price was for kids it. thinking, oh, I'll make a couple of dollars, and they brought and they tried to bring essentially kilos of cocaine back from yeah, Colombia. You know, correct? Uh, Is that the long and the short of it? Uh, not exactly. I mean, it wasn't Colombia; it was Venezuela. Venezuela, sorry. And I don't think the I really don't think the the primary objective was to make a couple of bucks. It oh. was really just about the adventure and doing it. Oh, really? I think okay. so. I mean, I can't speak for the people involved per se, but um, I don't think it was about making money. Okay. Um, it was about the adventure, and they got caught, and um, you know, there were like fourteen people implicated, and a lot of those folks were friends of mine. A lot of them were, this happened in the senior year, so a lot of them, in spring term, by the way, so a lot of them were accepted to various schools, and quite a few of them... Uh, were no longer welcome? Well, yeah, they had their invitations rescinded. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the front page of the New York Times. It was... Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It was also, there was a 60 Minutes episode about it. Really? Yeah, it was, it was big news at the time, and... Uh, you know, it rocked the school. The school, I think, took a long time to recover from it. Um, but, you know, yeah, so I just happened to I'm be... I'm sure they weren't happy about it. Ooh. No. That's a very private, very private school. Well, it is, and uh, it, it's a great school. I think academically it's uh, among the best in the nation, and um, it was a great experience, great facilities, great teachers. Really, all around, I have nothing but positive. But a lot of well-heeled kind of families. Some, but not, not entirely. I mean, a lot, had, though. We, yes, but yeah. of course. But we did also have a lot of. Uh, there were scholarships, I'm sure. Many, right? yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. a lot of uh, financial aid to a lot of the student body. I don't know what the percentage is, but quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. And a very diverse student body too. We had students from all over the world, and to this day, that school has international student body from everywhere. I mean, it is a great school. Sure, they're going through another upheaval of uh, kind of like bad press and. Uh, oh, they are. A bit of yeah. I mean, you know about the Me Too movement and all of this. Well, there have been sexual harassment uh, allegations and and proven things that have happened at my school and many other boarding schools for that matter over the many last many years like dating back far but that's not sort of that surprising right Mm -hmm. and you're talking about young students in proximity with adults um without parents around and so you're going to have some certain percentage and i would say it's a very minor percentage but you're going to have some adults who are attracted to that kind of environment to try to seek employment in those environments to be around uh minors so well, it, that's what these predators do. Yeah, they look for jobs where they're going to be around the the, the victims that they want. I mean, this sure. Is, let's and, be honest. This it, is why so many pedophiles are priests. Absolutely, it, it happened in my school. It's happening in the Catholic Church and has for many years. It happened at and it 
probably has happened at many boarding schools over the years. I have to applaud my school. I think my school's done a great job of dealing with it front on, and um, they've they've hired a firm to investigate, and uh, they're they're facing it head on without trying to hide things about what's going on. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the way my school's handled That's it. That's good. Um, but you know, it, that's the only way to do it. I mean, you have absolutely. to just say. But yet, not all schools are doing that. No, you know, of course not. Of course not. Um, but yeah. So anyway, my school has been rocked over the years with a couple of different. Uh, well, look, even scandals. If even you will. Um, even CBS. I mean, they they fired him. Um, Les Moonves. Les Moonves. Yeah. But they they never did an external investigation. It was all internal investigating, and it's like. It's just like when the police investigate themselves over a shooting. Nah, we we think it's a good shooting. Like, what? Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, he was all right. He, you know, he only touched him a little, like, or whatever it is. It's yeah. like, no, bring in and like you said, they're bringing in an outside company to investigate. Yeah, that's the way you should do it. Bring it. You Absolutely. know, look, Deal it's, it it's your on. ass. If you want your reputation to yep. continue on, yep. you have to you have to uphold it, and to uphold it, you have to find the truth. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, that that's good. Yep. That's good. Th- well, I <laughs> we talked all about this stuff, and I should have just had you tell the whole damn story. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a lot to that. But, there you know, is a lot to it. The school has yeah. had some great people that went there. By the way, in the film business, Paul Giamatti went there. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, cool. He was a couple years younger than I am, and I remember him there, but we didn't really know each other. Different Paul classes. Giamatti's younger than you? Yeah. Not by much, but he is. Wow. Um, and... Uh, Michael Douglas went there long before I did, of course. Um, also, Jamie Lee Curtis went there. Wow, cool. Yeah, she came back actually while I was there. People. She came back with Halloween one and two as a double feature on Halloween one year when Halloween two was coming out, and she screened both and had a little Q and A with the whole student body. While you were there, yeah, it was great. Oh, that's cool. I remember that Halloween. Oh, I, I imagine you would. Yeah, it was that's great. super fun. Plus, I mean, she was. Um, what's the right word? I mean, they call her scream queen or whatever. But she's she's a beautiful lady, and yeah, you know, and, and she had great stories to tell, and uh, she was very candid about her career. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it was great. Well, I mean, and you I, guys were all sixteen, seventeen years old. I mean, you're yeah. you're you, we're kids, yeah. right? I mean, you're looking at every woman like ah, you know, like <laughs> cartoons. So for this Hollywood star, this beautiful Hollywood star to come in, I imagine. That was interesting. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that has changed. I mean, in all these years. Fair enough. A but beautiful woman is a beautiful woman. That's that's a great point. That is a good point. I'm gonna have a little more mezcal. Me too. The bottle's almost empty for those of you out there listening. Well, number one, he didn't bring a full bottle. Ah, uh, okay, but it was no, like no, not that quarter. I'm complaining. It was a quarter finished. Now it's almost done. Well, no, it's it's got a third left in it. Well, for now. Am I drinking too much? No. Please. I brought it over to be had. I appreciate to it. be consumed. Oh, one more. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes. Um, see, look. I, you see my notes? I, you actually do your homework. Sharon Meyer written down, and I said, big part of your career, question mark. He, you know, I, he see, was. See, you answered I, that before I even... Sharon's a great guy. I really, you know, he has helped me in my career immensely, and I think he's a very talented DP. I think he actually is an underappreciated DP. I, I think he's done some incredible work. and um, I've seen a bunch of it. We were talking about Whiplash yeah. for a minute during the break. And he, he's I done a lot of work brilliant. since the years that I've worked with him that I think are just stellar you know, uh, 
movies uh, and and he kind of has shied away from TV for a number of years and I think um, you know back at a certain point of time movies were definitely more prestigious than TV but now we're kind of entering a golden age of or not entering we're kind of in it I guess but TV's doing quite well and there's great you know uh, a great variety of amazing production value television out there the work being done definitely rivals yeah what you can do in movies for, and, for sure and for whatever reason he's not in that market at the moment but he's incredibly talented and i owe a lot to him and uh yeah so me being here in la is completely due to sharon without him having said uh hey come on out here and, and work with me on the show i definitely would or i can't say definitely you I, never I know think, you might have been out here but i think I, there's a good chance i'd still be in new york huh. but cool. who knows yeah well, that's good. That's nice. And okay, so so the next question: <laughs> Did he call you Tony? No, nobody calls me. Very few people call me Tony. Well, I've never heard anyone call you Tony. But through my research, I heard that you might have gone by to- Tony in the past. Who but, told you that? Well, you no can one, you can be honest. No one told me that. Uh, I saw no. it on IMDb. <laughs> Tony. One of your credits has you as Tony. Really? I got to mm-hmm. fix that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, to be honest with you, nobody calls me Tony. Um, and in fact, it's one of the funny things. When someone calls me Tony or like calls me on the phone or emails me or whatever, I know immediately that it's not a close friend of mine if they're calling me Tony. Well, or it's not somebody who knows me very well. Um, well, if, if somebody if somebody called me and called me Bradley. There are two exceptions to that rule. And one is a high school friend of mine from Choate, Pete Harper. If you ever listen to this, here's a shout out to you, my friend. <laughs> Pete Harper will call me Tony for until he dies, and always okay. has. And he knows that I go by Anthony, but that's just Pete. And and another friend is John Booker, who's a sound man in New York and a dear friend, and he always calls me Tony too. Why do I know that name? John Booker, he's he's a great guy. I went to NYU with him. Hmm. Um, we've worked on a number of projects over the years, and he's he's a great guy and a good friend. And um, he will always call me Tony too. And I just, for whatever, you know, when you have these friends from like childhood and they just want to try to dig the knife in and bug you. So they do that thing. I just, it doesn't bother me because it's those guys. Well, it's endearing. At a certain yeah. Point, and, right? and I've known them forever. Yeah. But yeah. literally those are the only two people I know in the world that call me Tony. That's funny. I'm going to start actually, <laughs> actually, if I, you know, we've never worked together. If we ever work together, I'm just going to call you Tony all day. Let's change it. Let's work And together. I'm going to tell everyone on set that, that's that what like, I'm by. everybody else calls him Tony. <laughs> I can't believe you guys call him Anthony. <laughs> well, let's do it. <laughs> um, did you do a commercial with Christopher Guest? I did. Yeah. Was it recently? Where did you find this stuff? This is crazy. It's amazing. I I look Um, into people. I I did. I looked into you. I did a commercial with Christopher Guest, a a series of Bank of America commercials with Billy Idol. uh, Oh, really? Maybe two or three years ago. Oh, cool. It was great. I mean, first of all, I love Christopher Guest. I love his movies. I've been a fan of his work forever. By the way, he's married to Jamie Lee Curtis. um, Which I never did discuss with him the fact that she went to the same boarding school that I did. But um, wait. Jamie Lee Curtis and Christopher Guest, right? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm learning. Yeah. That's cool. Um, And he's great. I I had a great time working with him. I Sadly, it's the only time I worked with him. I never got a call again. But I do know that, you know, I got that gig because the guy that he normally works with wasn't available at the time. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, it was one of those fortuitous moments where a producer put me together with him. And I think it was Ricardo Schaefer. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roberta Shivers, his guy, and I get it. I mean, Roberta's great, and um, well, he shot all those movies. With absolutely, him. Yeah. and he's phenomenal. Yeah. So, you know, I can't. I, hopefully, Christopher Guest liked what I did. Um, I had a great time. I thought the commercials were fun, and um, you know, a bit documentary style. A lot of people don't realize he shoots a lot of commercials. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, does what? Do you remember who the production designer was? Was it Dick Carter? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'd have to look it up. No, my uh, good some good friends of mine used to do all of his okay. stuff. Yeah, I don't recall. To be honest. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, oh, that's it was a couple years ago. I apologize. No, 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 no. no. I would I, if you remembered, you'd remember. If not, no, no biggie. But um, no, but they always had so much nice stuff. And unfortunately, the the matriarch of that family, who was his set dresser for many, many, or not set dresser, uh, his um. Not designer, uh, decorator. Jeez, Louise. Uh, his decorator for years passed away way too early. Mm. And I was at the funeral, as were other people, and he showed up. Okay. I didn't, we didn't exchange one word, and he was very quiet and sat yeah. kind of quietly, respectfully. And I was kind of told, like, he's probably not going to talk to anybody. Yeah. He's, probably bummed out don't you know sure nobody told me not to talk to him but i just got the, you got that you, sense, you get yeah. the idea but um he he's great i mean I, I enjoyed it he's an amazing talent uh, amazing yeah best in show fantastic <sighs> all of know. his movies i mean I, literally every movie he's ever made i've loved yeah me too um certain certain ones really best in show really yeah. connected with me i just I mean, you know, Spinal Tap. I mean, you just—it's like I—I'll admit, I've never what I've never what? seen all the Spinal Tap. No, you have to see that movie. I know, and I keep—I spoke with somebody else about this. I think it's one of those movies that it's such an iconic movie that I need—I feel like I need to be like in a perfect place to watch it, and that's why I never watch it. Well. Yeah, I'd actually love love them to re-release it in theaters. Oh, so good. Yeah, they should. They Whoever's really should. listening, re-release Spinal Tap in theaters. It would yeah. probably make a gazillion dollars. It's got to be like a big anniversary of it coming up. So I mean, it's either 40, 50, 35, <laughs> whatever. It's like 75 it's, years, like your reunion. Yeah, 68, 75, whatever I it is. <laughs> but it's worth it before everyone's dead. Re-release it. Yeah, they should. They should. It was so good. By the way, I got to work with Rob Reiner last year, or two years, three years ago, two years ago, and it was great. We did a little scene with him and Billy Crystal, and I got to work with Mel Brooks on that show, too. Oh, that was The Comedians. Yeah. Which uh, I never really, I never really it, saw. It just had one season, and it, I don't think, I don't know, it just kind of didn't have a huge presence. It was. I thought it was a great show. It was really fun to do. Josh Gad's amazing. Billy Crystal's amazing, and it was funny. It, you know, it was a bit of a uh, documentary style, kind of like The Office or some of those shows. You know, sort of they're they're playing it's themselves like behind basically. the scenes of them having a show together, right? Yeah, it was yeah. like a show about two comedians, and they're kind of playing themselves or a version of themselves, I should say, uh, being forced to work together and not really liking each other. And it was funny. I mean, I enjoyed it's it. It's an odd couple, kind of. Yeah, it was a Larry Charles production. He likes you, it would appear. I like Larry. Larry's Because you, you shot a couple of pilots with him, too, I've no? shot a bunch of pilots with him, a couple of movies, and, uh, yeah, Larry's great. I mean, he's, At least, what, four movies? Um, I haven't counted, but... Borat. Yeah. Religious. Mm -hmm. Bruno. Mm hmm Army of One. Mm hmm That's four. Mm hmm Man, we've done some it? commercials some and commercials some pilots. 
Yeah, and a series or two. Larry's great. He is an incredibly talented writer and director and a brilliant mind. And he's one of the nicest, genuinely nice and funny people you could ever be around. I mean, he's great. Well, being a giant Seinfeld fan. Oh, my God. The best episodes ever written, in my opinion, were written by Larry. Right. So I'm... Try to hold it together, you know, because I'd love to meet him sometime. <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you what, if I do something with Larry coming up, you'll invite me to set. I'll hire you. How about that? Uh, yes. You want to operate? You want to do some stuff Let's with Larry? Let's do it. Let's he's do great. It. You would love him. He's, uh, he's really good. I bet I would. It, it, does the, is the beard giant? It's pretty big, although I've seen him. I thought he trimmed it down for a he while. He shaved it for a portion of Bruno. Which I have photographs of Larry without a beard, which may be the only photographs of Larry Charles without a beard uh, since his high school photograph. No. Possibly. Um, And I took them (laughs) in Milan while he was shaved. And he's a handsome man. He's a handsome man with a beard, too. But most people don't know him without a beard. But, uh, yeah. It's it's like Rick. Rick, Well, he and Rick Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. It really they, they is. They are right? friends. Yeah, they're good friends. Are they friends too? They are. That's fine. I had no idea they were friends. Oh, yeah. But uh, Larry, they both first have... of all, Larry knows everybody. Okay, fair there's, enough. There's nobody Larry but doesn't know. But being good friends and knowing somebody's a little he's, different. He's but... very good friends with Rick Rubin, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, it, they're just, they both have these iconic beards that everybody yeah. knows them by. Yeah. Um, so I always think of, every time I think of Larry, I think of Rick Rubin. Yeah. And I personally, I've never met Rick Rubin, but but I know that they are very good friends. I saw him. I've seen him at least twice. Once I know was on Santa Monica Boulevard. In, I think like a white Rolls Royce, like next to me in traffic, and I looked over, and it was undoubtedly one hundred percent Rick Rubin. It sounds about right. Why not? <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, which I could be. I doubt it. In my mind, I and you know, it probably was, but um, it's one of those moments. As a matter of fact, one time I was riding by, um, who's the old workout guy, Richard? Um, um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the guy in the crazy tight guy with the big shorts. hair and the perm. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Richard. I was behind him in traffic, yeah. and I was like, that looks like whatever his name is. Yeah. And then. Um, <laughs> On, again on Santa Monica, like in Beverly Hills, and then I, I made sure to get next to him at the next light, and sure enough, it was him. He was on the phone. <laughs> you could see that hair, like oh, yeah. I saw it through the tint, <laughs> like through the back window. <laughs> That's hilarious. I could tell. Um, oh, I did want to ask you. You did a movie called Peaceful Warrior. Yeah, I was an operator on that. That was um, shot by Sharon. Yeah. Oh, it was okay. Yeah. Colin was an operator too. Yeah, that's is that actually, how you know each other? Is that the movie where he met? Uh, it might be. It might. What year was that? I was d- it, don't know. I'm, my um, research sucks. I didn't write the year. It down. could be Sorry. the year. I met Colin on a movie, and that might very well be the movie. It probably is. Um, yeah. Um, so the second reason I wanted to ask you about that is the director, Victor Salva. Yes. I did a movie with him. You did? What movie? First movie I ever worked on. What was I, it? I was a PA. Yeah. And I left them very quickly. Uh-huh. Jeepers Creepers. Oh, okay. I've seen it. Or parts of it. Yeah. My first movie with Justin Long. Yeah. But anyway, um, we had protesters on our set during that movie. Okay. This would, this would have been late 90s, early 2000, something like that. Okay. 
you know Victor's history. I do, but I didn't actually, uh, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think I knew it until I started the movie, to be honest I with didn't you. either. And Everybody always finds out. It's like amazing. Yeah, you find out what happened. They kind of have to tell everybody, I think. Uh, at a certain point, I don't know when I became aware of it, but somebody told me. And, um, you know, he. so for those that don't know, Victor Salva was convicted of uh, pedophilia. Um, and he served some time. I don't know how much time, but he did some time. It was in the years. I yeah. think a couple of years. Yeah. And he, uh, from what I understand, I think he wrote Powder while he was in prison. And uh, anyway... That wouldn't surprise me. And then Powder, you know, years later he made Powder and it came out. But specifically, you know why he went to jail. I mean, obviously pedophilia, but but it was an actor in a movie he made. Yeah, a young boy, I believe. That he entered a relationship with. Well, I don't know that I heard it that way, but... he He claimed, this is the way he said it. His parents were aware, but he was like 14, mm-hmm. and Victor was minimum late 20s. Okay. Wait, just freaky. Like, no good. And yeah. I, yeah, anyway. I, I didn't even hear the specifics of the age. But it was I an actor. It was an underage boy uh, in a sexual act with him, and he was. We caught. lived with him. Oh, I didn't hear any of this. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, by all accounts, the kid was willing. Okay. But doesn't still doesn't make it yeah right right at all. But you're too young to have consent at that point. Right, right, right. Um, but but what freaked me out is we're making a movie with kids in it, and then he made powder with kids in it. Yeah, <laughs> that freaked me out. We had one protester, this woman who would show up. We that movie was shot mostly in Ocala, Florida, cheaper creepers, and we had a protester who was no matter where our set was. She wow. was there at base camp, like, every single day. Security had to tell her right where she could stand. And they brought her water. I think she ate I think she ate our food, to be honest. We, uh, I know. think people just gave her food. And then some days we'd have 50 protesters, like, wow. on a Saturday. Or, like, if we shot on a weekend or whatever. But this lady was there, I think, every I, day. I don't remember any protesters on well, the movie this, we made, but... Um, that would have been after Jeepers Creepers, no? Oh yeah, yeah. Jeep, yeah. I think they Jeepers Creepers two had been made before we mm. made mm-hmm. Peaceful Warrior. But you know, I I uh, I remember at one point someone told me his history or some extent of his history and and you know what I know about it that I told you now. Um, and we were in the middle of making this movie, and I I do remember one day I don't remember any protesters, but I remember one day. By the way, I'm getting drunk. You can probably hear it in my voice, but it feels good. Um, <laughs> I remember one day we were in Griffith Park and we were shooting and uh, I think there was a Boy Scout jamboree not too far away. And we we there was an issue with like he had still provisions of how close he could be to, you know, kids. So right. 500 yards something or like that. I think it was 500 right. yards. I think that was exactly Oh, it. really? Oh. So it, it impacted our shoot day and, and there were issues with that. As I recall, that was the only thing I remember directly impacting our shoot. I also remember one day asking him directly, like, so, because he was talking about uh, the difficulties of raising money to movies or something like that. And I said, so why is it difficult for you to raise money? And I think I already knew the history, so I was sort of playing dumb a little bit. And uh, I remember Victor's responses was, well, Anthony, I have what's called in this industry a PR problem. And that's how he said it, and I didn't mm-hmm. press for any more details. But right, right, yeah. Did you like him otherwise? 
he was a he was a congenial guy. He was fine to work with from my perspective. He certainly didn't do anything crossing the line to me or anybody that I really saw. But you know, you're too old. It, for you, him. you can't really, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you can't. Uh, that history is there, and uh, it's never going to go away. So. No, and it shouldn't go away. No. <laughs> um, it's funny because I spoke to people who also worked on the movie that I worked on and my comment after I did a couple weeks on it, a few weeks something and I said um, hey he was he was always really nice to me you know I have no complaints and they're like yeah he's nice to you he was trying to get you back to his plate I'm like he was and they're like yeah I'm like oh but um, not everybody had that opinion of him I was just and here's the reason I'm not just bringing it up just to bash a guy the reason I'm bringing it up is because when I saw that I was like oh shit is he still in the business is he still working and I looked and he released Jeepers Creepers Jeepers Creepers 3 you're getting drunk too no I'm not yeah, I don't you get are. drunk you listen to that play that back people That's just rewind off. that 30 That's seconds and play that again Jeepers Creepers Creep there you go <laughs> you're fucking drunk well I did that on purpose uh huh um <laughs> No, but Jeepers Creepers 3 came out last year. And I'm like, really? Obviously different actors, whatever. But um, like they're still letting him make movies. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know. By the way, kid-oriented movies. Yeah. You know, he's not making some, you know. Well, we had uh, a young actor. I mean, he was an adult. He was, I'm pretty sure he was over 21. Uh, who uh, actor who was in uh, Mean Creek, by the way, which you mentioned earlier, mm. a younger actor at that time, but he was the star of um, Peaceful Warrior. Mm-hmm. And I do remember we had one extensive shower sequence where we shot him taking a shower in you know the locker room. Mm. A lot of slow motion. A lot really? Of, you know, yeah, a lot of indulgent sort of slow motion stuff of this guy taking a shower. Nothing pornographic. Was I it mean, all in the movie? Uh, I don't know. I, I actually don't know if I ever saw the movie. <laughs> but um, Instant classic. You know, he... Uh, I, nothing pornographic, nothing below the waist. Oh, okay. But like upper body, naked, and, you know, shower. Um, Wait, Sharon shot that? Sharon was a DP, yeah. Because I noticed Don Fauntleroy shot Jeepers Creepers 3, and he shot Jeepers Creepers. I think probably the second one, too, I would assume. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was like his main guy, but I, I don't know. Well, who was his main guy? Tom Fauntleroy. Probably, yeah. I mean, I think Sharon only shot that one movie for mm. him. Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, well, geez, I'm almost... At, oh, okay, another another question. Road Trip. Oh, yeah. Which I loved, and I knew it was Todd Phillips who had made Frat House. This yeah. is before I knew you, before wow. I was even in the business. Okay. I, I, um, and I went and saw it. I loved it. I had a thing for what was her name? Amy, Amy Smart. Amy Smart. Yeah, she I had was a great. thing for Amy Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I probably still do. But mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's a beautiful woman. Yeah, she's she's yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so road trip, and it was super funny. And you shot second unit, correct? I did. Yeah, I did second unit on it. And um, how did that come about? And were you pissed off, or you weren't shooting first unit? Oh, well, you know, I mean, no, I wasn't pissed off that I wasn't shooting okay. the first unit. Because, I mean, I was realistic. I mean, Todd, uh, he got a, a three-picture deal through Frat House. 
playing at, at uh, Sundance because of Ivan Reitman. Actually, because of Jason Reitman, really. Who, by the way, I love Jason Reitman's films. If you're listening, Jason, or anybody else. So do I. He has a new film coming out, If too. Eric Stielberg isn't available for any of your movies, <laughs> I would love to meet you, and I'd be happy to shoot anything for you. But, um, yeah, I love his movies. Well, you know what's funny is I, I tried to get work with Eric Stielberg. Did you? Yeah. Well, he's a talented guy, and also Absolutely. he was doing Jason Reitman's movies. Yeah, no, Eric's very talented, and I'm <laughs> I, just joking. During, while Up in the Air was shooting, I was, like, emailing him, being like, hey, yeah. Eric, if you need anybody... Yeah, um, I think those movies are amazing, and yeah. you know, great, great job that they've all done on those. I agree. Um, so, uh, but but as I recall, Jason saw Frat House first at Sundance the year that it played, and he told Ivan, his dad, to go check it out. And so Ivan saw it and loved it, and you know, called Todd for a meeting, and Todd came in. And why Todd, and why not both of them? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, from what I understand, Todd came in for the meeting and pitched a couple of ideas and uh, landed a three-picture deal with Ivan uh, for an umbrella. Uh, like it was a new company, a new, I think it was a new production umbrella kind of thing being done under Spielberg. I mean, how do you get a three-picture deal like that? Well, I mean, Frat House was pretty good. <laughs> and it's Todd was good. a young and up-and-coming director. I and get it, but I, I I can see getting a movie on that, but getting a three-picture deal well, on that. Well, you know, Todd is also an incredibly smart, and in, he's just a, a very congenial guy. He's well, smart enough to have ideas ready for Ideas that ready, but beyond that. I mean, I, honestly, I mean, I, I have high, high respect for Todd. Todd's uh, one of the smartest people I've ever met in a lot of ways. Wow. He's... he's it's high praise from you. Yeah, he's he's a really uh, charismatic guy. Mm-hmm. Very intelligent. He's very good at assessing people and the situation and playing the room perfectly. And that may sound cynical, and I don't mean it to be that way. I just... Todd is a very shrewd and, and intelligent guy. Mm-hmm. And it's served him well. And I think that, you know, one of the things that Todd was great about in being a documentarian and a commercial director before his feature success is that Todd could could make anybody he's talking to feel like you're on his level. You know, you could you could be talking to a frat kid uh, at a C-rate school and make them think that he's on their level and make them trust him. And he could be talking to a Fortune 500 CEO. Same deal. Make them feel like he's on their level and completely comfortable and, you know, open up. It's a great talent. What, I mean, what, it's a rare talent. What do you and call it's, that? Well, it's, that? A, I mean, it's intelligence, it's charisma. Sure. And uh, maybe to some degree, a little Machiavellian, you know, perhaps. Well, there's a self awareness there, too. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, I got to hand it to him. He's a self made guy. Todd is uh, he, he's a self made success. And I like him a lot. I admire him a lot. It's not to say that I haven't had my differences with him. We've had our fights over the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But. But I have to say I admire him a lot, and I think he's done a great job, and I think he's a great director. Um, so, yeah, he landed a three-picture deal. Not surprising to me at all that he met with Ivan, pitched a couple of ideas, and, and got a movie deal. And so I think Road Trip, if I'm not mistaken, was the first of the movies he made with Ivan. And uh, he called me to second unit DP. Uh, and I think it's, you know, and I, I appreciate that. He's done a lot for me in my career. Um he was the original director of Borat, by the way, before Larry Charles was. He was? He was, and he's the reason that I started shooting Borat. Really? Yeah. 
Wow, so you owe him all this Larry Charles stuff after that. Yeah, I That's met crazy. Larry because of, of, you know... I had no idea. Yeah. Why, what, so why did he leave? Well, uh, he we, we had been shooting for about, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe a little less. How long? Three weeks or a month. Oh. Um, and eventually he and Sasha had different ideas of what the movie should be. Mm. There's a great Terry Gross interview that he did on NPR years ago where he talks about it. And, and you know, I think Todd... I have a lot of respect for Todd. He he spoke very genuinely from the heart about that experience, and I think it was a painful experience for him mm. because it was the first time he came to an impasse with somebody that he couldn't bridge the problem and get past it. And for, a, for a guy that can get along with everybody and figure them pretty out. Pretty much. And he can't figure this guy out. But right? he and Sasha eventually came to an impasse, and they couldn't uh, proceed forward. And, you know, it was... Ultimately, Sasha's movie, and um, it, you know, Borat couldn't be made without Sasha. Of course clearly. not. No. So you know, the only thing to come out of that was for Todd to leave the project, and he did mm-hmm. um, graciously. And I think that was the right thing to do. And he speaks highly of of Sasha. And um, but well, not everyone will get along. No, you know, it's 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 tough. Yeah. Um, but when he left the project, I mean, you know, a lot of us had left other shows. Uh, to to do Borat and we expected to be working for like four months on the project and three weeks in maybe four weeks in when this happened um, it was a big deal you know like execs flew in from uh, from LA to I think we're in Kansas at the time I could be wrong but I think we're in Kansas Mm. and uh, they tried to have a mediation dinner and it, it just didn't work out and so uh, the next morning, there was a meeting called, and all the principal crew were in this meeting. And uh, Todd came in and told us that basically he was leaving the project, and we were going to shut down for a while, and that uh, they were going to find another director. And when that happened, well, he was very apologetic too. He said, "Look, I know a lot of you left other shows to be here, and I'm so sorry. This never happened in my career before, and I, I don't know how to, you know, say it enough, but I'm really sorry for those of you that have." taken or left other jobs to Did do Sasha this. come to that as well? And no, it was just Todd. Okay. And but he but he went on to say, look, uh, for any of you that are, you know, invited to participate beyond this with whomever takes over, I, I wish you all the best. I want you to do it. I don't want you to lose work and, and I harbor no ill feelings. I want you to, you know, do it if you can do it if mm-hmm. you if you're invited back. So um you know, there was a long downtime, actually. It, it was going to be like a month or two. And Sasha broke his ankle playing basketball during that period. Double whammy, uh, yeah. It was crazy. And it ended up being like a five, four or five months downtime. You know, I took a couple of the jobs and whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, and then when they actually started to work, ramp back up to going into production, they hired Larry Charles to, to do the project. Um both, I think Sasha and the producers asked Larry to meet with me uh, just to see if he was willing to keep me on. I think they liked the work that I was doing and, you know, felt it would be good to keep me on. So I met with Larry. It, the meeting went great. Uh, and, you know, he asked me to stay on board. Well, you've told me what a nice guy he is. Yeah, like, I think he's you're a nice, you're kind of a nice guy. So. <laughs> I could be an asshole, but <laughs> mostly I'm usually okay. I've never seen you be an asshole. Oh, I can't. I've never worked with you, though, so. Uh, yeah. No, I <laughs> I think I was I was probably tougher in the earlier days. I'm, I'm pretty mellow now, I think. I don't lose my temper very often. But there might have been a time when I did once or twice. But... Uh, Larry's great, and I've always gotten along well with him, and we had a great time, and he took me on the show, and uh, we finished Borat, and then I went on to do a bunch of other stuff with Larry. That's so great. 
that's that's um that's a, just a guy being loyal and you've done other stuff with uh, with Sasha too Bruno yeah and well Sasha we well yeah um but by the way um his new show oh yeah I was gonna ask you amazing. about what you thought I, of it. well I haven't seen it yet but I mean I know it's you've amazing. seen the clips I'm sure I've seen clips yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. a couple of clips which are incredible and Sasha's amazing it's and I super know super weird and when you watch it you're like how it's kind of the same as Borat. It's like, how is anybody this stupid? I don't understand how these people are this stupid. That's the intangible. You know, who who can say? It is crazy that people will put themselves you in situations. You must have the most br- brilliant producers. Well, there are great producers involved, for sure. I mean, uh, props all the way from I mean, top to bottom. But you got to give Sasha the ultimate credit. He has this vision of what he wants to do. And I'm sure these are heavily edited, too. Because uh, he must. No, yeah, but well, you haven't seen the show, but I haven't seen that. show. But I'm saying, I, 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 it feels like they're heavily edited. Not, 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 not to make them look bad. I'm just saying, like, it feels like they shot a lot of stuff to work up to this point. Yeah, I, they do I can't say because again, I haven't seen that. But I can tell you that with when you see when the guy yells the n word, yeah. the congressman from Georgia yells the n word like seventy fucking times, like a moron. Yeah. He, Unless he's that big a moron, which he kind of is, but like he had to be worked up to that somehow. They must have been yeah. doing a bunch of other stuff. Well, I don't know. Sasha's I mean, the, the guy does. in the last episode, he has a dildo in. Uh, Sasha has a dildo in his pants, like sticking <laughs> out of the crotch, and there's a a guy who's supposed to be, you know, quote stopping terrorists, sucking on it. Incredible. Incredible! Like, I, how you know, do you I make these people do this? <laughs> I haven't seen it, so that sounds even to me that sounds incredible. But uh, you know, Sasha's amazing, <laughs> and, and you've seen shit that none of us have seen, uh, like from from all those days. That is amazing. But, but uh, I'm surprised. Like, okay, well, you know, we we are getting along in the thing here. But I did want to ask you. Speaking of him, Bruno. I think you brought John Myers in for a day or two on that somewhere. I think so. Yeah, to do to do well, jib or something. Yeah, I mean we. And had, John and I were close friends at the time. Yeah, I, I've known John for years. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but um, well, you know, both those movies, Bruno and Borat, we had a number of sequences that required a much bigger complement of cameras, like up to like five, ten cameras at a time to do certain sequences. Okay, and the specific one I'm talking about is some kind of wrestling or UFC type. Oh yeah. Yeah, thing in Bruno. Yeah. Yep, that was in Bruno. And so before the movie came out, John told me this story. So, will you, from your perspective, what happened here? Well, uh, we shot in two different cities in Arkansas, Rogers, Arkansas, and I forget the other one. But I've heard um, it's pretty progressive in Rogers. Pretty progressive, yeah. I mean, there are no Trump voters over there. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't remember the other city, but um, they did a kind of a cage fight kind of sequence, like UFC style cage fighting, uh, but on a small regional level, and they broadcast it on the radio. And um, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they do cage fighting on the radio? <laughs> no, 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 no. They advertised it on the radio. Oh. 
So I'm like, you're telling me no, they're no, putting no, the no, cage no, fight. No, no. I mean, it's like the it's no. Like they the, would they would advertise like it on local radio <laughs> for for this event to happen. So they Sugar got, Ray throws a left hand. <laughs> no, they got the word out to get people to come. I got it. Okay, and uh, people came to this event that was. So this uh, is an unbroadcast event. It's like a local UFC. It's a local event. kind of UFC type of event. Type of event. Nothing right. to do with UFC. I get but, it. I get but it. That yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. A cage fight, octagon kind of thing. Right. And in these small martial towns, arts, whatever kind of fighting. Yeah. Got it. And so they, you know, they filled these stadiums with these people from these towns, um, and it was, uh, and the actual events, they had real fights. I mean, mm-hmm. with actual uh, mixed martial arts fighters. Sure. Um, and Sasha, in character, was the host of the event and kind of the MC. Oh, okay. And that was all filmed within Bruno, and it's in there. Um, and it's a character that he plays within Bruno. So wait, so let me ask a couple of questions. One is, I'm, did the studio just pay this whoever was putting the event on to let Sasha do it? Oh, I, how did I, that I don't know. I couldn't even begin to guess of how the financials work. But well, uh, it's not necessarily about financials. I'm just asking, how did he become the host of this? Or the well, MC? no, I think they put on their own event. I think they created an event. Oh, so they made it look like one of the other ones that would happen yeah, once in a while, but they or, just did yeah, their own they thing. they did their own thing. I see. Okay, okay. That makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it wasn't and like And they hired a, real fighters. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was like an Oh, that makes that even more co-opted. sense. They know no, how to do was, shit like yeah, that. They, they sure. Created they don't have to glom event. onto somebody else's. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there was another question, but I forgot it now, so please continue. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so we uh, for those two sequences, we had, uh, you know, must have been 10 or more cameras covering it. I mm-hmm. mean, I was right there at times in the octagon and at times on a ladder just still operating. Over the fence. Operating, yeah. yeah. I operated on both those movies because it's, you know, we're, we're sort of doing a film that's uh, meant to feel like it's a documentary, so you can't have a big crew. It's it's got to be small, and I you're was, the one who knows the story. Yeah, and you know him and how he works and where yeah. he's going to go and right. And, and by the way, I wasn't the only guy there. I mean, on both those movies, I was a co DP. So oh, you were? Oh yeah, I was. So oh, I didn't know that. Yep. So so let me just back up there and that? say that on 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 Borat, I was a co DP with Luke Geisbuehler. Okay. Who has done great work since then? He's he's done these amazing go. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, God, what are those music videos? The uh, OK Go videos. Oh, he's, he does those. He always oh, a bunch yeah. Of them, oh, cool. Including the one in the airplane that's the zero gravity kind of, the vomit comet gravity, zero gravity plane. Right, right, right. Where right. they're in the plane and they're doing all this sort of anti-gravity kind of stuff. So crazy. Or zero gravity stuff. Um, yeah. He's done all of those uh, and great work. And in fact... Um, Our friend Alec, you know Alec. Alec Bald, yeah, I mean, sorry, Alec... Uh, Jarnigan. Jarnigan did... He did the one in Japan exactly. with Yeah. Him. Which was there's that, some great behind the scenes was stuff. Was that Luke? That. That's Luke. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So Luke co DP'd Borat with me. And um, on Bruno. You've dropped so many names of people, not drop names, but you've mentioned you're going to have to call people and just tell them, like, I mentioned your name on the. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I will. I definitely will. Because <laughs> um, there's too many people absolutely. for me to. Remember. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and Luke has done a lot of great things. He's, in addition to all that Go, uh, OK Go stuff, he, uh, I mean, he's done some great documentaries. He also. Uh, is one of the first people to launch either I don't know if it's an iPhone or a GoPro, but with a weather balloon and sending it into you know, oh, did he do like that? Near space, yeah. Oh, he, I remember he, hearing he's about one it. of the first to do that with his son, which is pretty cool. Uh, I think he calls it the Brooklyn Space Works. 
and there's a whole video and website about it. But uh, yeah, oh, he's a New York guy. Yep, he's a New York guy. Oh, cool. Um, huh. So uh, yeah, so that was I, I co DP Borat with Luke. So you were both operating. Yes, got it. And we would have, like I said, on certain really big events, we would have additional. Uh, no, I get that. I get that. You know, five but, or ten other operators doing a big but event. But different than a normal show where you're oh, yeah. your yeah. co-DPs and your co-operators, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. So then who was the one on um, Bruno? Um, Wolfgang Held was with me on uh, Bruno. Um, and by the way, let me back up and say that on, on Borat, when I, was, uh, when I was first working with Todd, it was me and Bob Richman. Bob Richman is an amazing documentary cameraman. He has done some of the best documentaries of the last 20, 25 years or more. Um, he's, I mean, I love Bob. He's a great guy, good friend, um, just an amazingly wonderful, talented documentary cameraman. Probably, if I had to pick one guy who I think is the best current working documentarian cameraman, it's it's Bob Richman. Really? Oh, yeah. You've got to seek out his work. He's amazing. He did Some Kind of Monster. He, oh. Uh, which I think Wolfgang Held also worked on, by the way. Oh, really? Um, but he, he did all, all of uh, Bruce Sanofsky, uh, the, the movies like uh, Brothers Keeper. Mm. and uh, I've seen that. Great, great films. Um, Paradise Lost, a, a bunch of things like that. Uh, I have not seen Paradise Lost. Uh, by the way, uh, An Inconvenient Truth. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, Bob's cool. great. So he was the original co-DP of he mine. He gets all the big ones, huh? He does a lot of big stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but And he deservedly so, because he's incredibly talented and a, and a great guy. Um, but uh, So, Bob, if you're listening, here's a glass of wine to you, because <laughs> Bob is also the guy that introduced me to wine. And uh, if, if I'm at all uh, onophile, it's because of Bob, all right. uh, who loves wine. Um, but uh, so uh, Bruno was uh, Wolfgang Held, co-DPing with me. And uh, yeah, so... Cool. Sasha really wanted it that way. He always wanted two DPs as opposed to just one. And I'm personally not a fan of that. I don't think that system works that well, but, you know. It's well, his, maybe it's situationally. Thing. Obviously, it did work. Um, obviously, it did. Yeah, somehow. I mean, the movies, I think the movies are great. I'm really proud of the work we did. We did. I mean, it, I don't, I, I'm not really sure why he wouldn't just want one DP and then another operator. That I don't understand. Well, I have my ideas and speculations, but uh, oh, okay, we'll save it for what are those? part two. Um, you know, I I don't know. I think you know Sasha's an interesting guy, spot. and I think um, a certain amount of strife on set sometimes might be to his advantage, or he likes it. Well, okay, but you know, well, whatever he does works. Yeah, it's it's certainly cringy. Yeah, and that's what he's going for. He's great at what he does. I all props to to Sasha for his work. It's crazy. Yeah, his new show. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm gonna check to, it out. Yeah, watch I've it, got man. to. A lot of my friends worked on it. So, oh, did they? Yeah. Well, I guess in those circles, you know a lot of those people. But yeah. Where did they shoot that? Here or, the, or New York? Uh, you know, I don't even know because I haven't seen it yet. So I don't. I'm sure they went all over the country. They might. I don't think they did. Oh, I know they shot in Washington D.C. Yeah, I bet they went around to a lot of different. But places. he has. You're right. They did. They did. They definitely did. He has one character that's like this bike riding hippie, and then they have. Um, you are nailing me with your watch reflection. By the way, I'm sorry. Did you? You? I thought you knew it. No, you I did it before no. too. Sorry. 
I thought, what is that? A Rolex? It's bright. <laughs> Sorry. Um, God, right in the eye. Um, no, he has the bike riding hippie, and then he's got the like self defense guy who has like a gym. Mossad guy or something, right? Yes, like a Mossad yeah. guy. I hear that guy was hilarious. And then he's got like the American, you know, Alex Jones type that rides a rascal and whatever. But that's about it. Anyway, we'll get out of here. I'm blabbing your ear off. And your phone's, no worries. I'm, your having, phone's I'm having super fun. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, it's been good. I think... Um, now that you're having a good time, this can be over. I think I'm having more fun than anybody who's going to listen to this is going to have. But, you know, anyway. We tried Screw. to make it interesting. Screw you, man. You've been interesting. <laughs> okay. I don't know. You know <laughs> I think you've been very stuff. interesting, and I appreciate you uh, coming in, man. My pleasure, man. It's been fun. And uh, talk to you soon. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks again to Anthony. Uh, he was great. I really enjoyed it. And I was a little drunk from all that mezcal, <laughs> which I think got me a little uh, extra chatty. I should have shut up and let him talk a little more. Um, it's specifically the last story he was going to tell where I asked him about the um, the Sasha Baron Cohen thing with Bruno. Um, I never let him finish a story, and I'm sorry about that. Sorry to him and sorry to the listeners. Uh, I wanted to hear his version of that. Um, but if you want to hear Sasha Baron Cohen's version of that, uh, Kimmel interviewed him in like 2016, and I think he's talked about it in other places. So it's really easy to find on YouTube. Um, so check that out. It, it was basically a riot. They incited, they got a riot going there. Um, and they narrowly escaped with their lives. Um, anyway, uh, also... Uh, the Victor Salva stuff, when I talked about Victor Salva, you know, it's one of those stories I heard all this stuff almost 20 years ago. So if I was inaccurate in any way about that stuff, I apologize. I I, I sound so sure of myself and um, because those are my memories. But in truth, um, I'm not 100% sure all that stuff is true. I think it is, but I don't know. So anyway, if you're curious or if you think I was wrong, you can email me and let me know or... Just look it up yourself and find out what all the facts and details are on it. Um, yeah, that's it. So the apologies are over. <laughs> thanks again for listening. And thanks again for all the support. Um, I'm really having a great time doing this. And this is episode 19. Wow. Uh, keep on listening, everybody. And uh, and keep on sending uh, emails or whatever. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. All right. Thanks. Catch you next week.